Yo, this is Rob Harvilla from 60 Saws That Explain the 90s, the world's greatest loopy and perverse and inaccurately named music nostalgia podcast. We're doing 90 songs now because there's too many songs. Pearl Jam, Jay-Z, Jewel, U2, Cher, Hootie. These are just some of the names people yell at me on the internet because we're back. More great songs, more rad special guests, more loopy perversity. Join us once more on 60 Songs That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. The Rewatchables is brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find the Ringerverse mm. with Mallory Rubin. You can find the Big Picture with Sean Fennessy. Yes. You can find the Bill Simmons Podcast. And coming up is the first episode of Sleazy, Sleek, Sexy early 80s month. I think that's what we called it. <laughs> Rolls right off the tongue. Something, yeah, I got to work. Gnarly November? Gnarly <laughs> November is good. We are going to dive into four movies that all came out within basically like a 16 month span of each other mm. in 1980 and 1981 that are sleazy, that are sexy. There's some noir elements to all of them, and they're just distinct in these various ways. The first one is called American Gigolo. We're going to have a lot of fun, I can tell. Just lie back and relax. I know what you want. Close your eyes, baby. <laughs> American Gigolo is next. You know who I am. I know who you are. I know what you're thinking. You know what I'm thinking. You want to be here. You want to be with me. His name is Julian Kay. Was it what you expected? His business is pleasure. Hello, Judy. You're a very sexy lady. Very good looking woman. You're gonna like me. You can tell. We have a lot of fun. He is the American Gigolo. Hello, girls. Richard Gere, American Gigolo, iconic movie, did way better than I think people expected. Set the blueprint for a really strange era of movies that comes out, some of them were made in the late, late 70s. We're coming out of this era, like 1977 on, where porn is becoming more mainstream, music's starting to change, punk's coming in, just things are happening. And American Gigolo and Paul Schrader, especially, Sean's guy. My guy. <laughs> Fits right into this. Paul Schrader does hardcore before that, which we decided was not a rewatchable, even though it's kind of the 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 father of these movies yeah. in a lot of ways. Grimy, sex, just like underbelly. And this is now we head into this era where all these movies that we're about to do this month, there's an underbelly element to this. But Sean, explain why Schrader's your guy and what he meant to this era. <laughs> Well, he's he's one of the most celebrated screenwriters in movie history. He's the guy behind Taxi Driver, and he's had this incredible partnership over the years with the movie brats, with Martin Scorsese and with Brian De Palma. 
as a filmmaker, he's he's definitely one of my favorites. He's really well known for the sort of lonely man stories. This is one of the first lonely men story. He's actually in a kind of late period right now in which I, all of his movies in the last five years I just think are wonderful. And he's really like recaptured, I think, a lot of what's so cool about this movie in particular. Yeah. But, you know, he's a guy who is obsessed with movies, who got his start as a critic after leaving the Midwest where he was raised as a Calvinist in this really repressed environment. And he came out to L.A. and he made a bunch of cool friends and he started getting getting kinky, getting weird, you know? And he started getting into guns and he started getting into gay culture and trying to understand it and get a little closer to it. And he started getting into fashion and working out and the life of the mind. And he's a really fascinating thinker. And he's a really transgressive guy who's very known for pushing the envelope of what is tasteful, what's acceptable mm-hmm. in our culture. This movie, though, unlike, say, Hardcore, which is the movie that precedes the city wrote and directed. That's a really moralizing movie. That's a movie seen through the eyes of a father whose daughter has left home to go become a porn star. She's a runaway. They don't realize that she actually wanted to run away and she's now in LA. And when George C. Scott finds her, it turns out she's been making some porn. This movie is seen through the eyes of a gigolo. It's seen, it's the inversion and it it sets off this course where he starts telling stories not about what's right and what's wrong, but about what's inside of people and what makes them do the things that they do, which I think is a really interesting setup for a movie like this. Not to mention, I think what will be more fun to talk about, which is this is one of the more beautiful and sort of sexy and stylish movies Mm -hmm. ever made. Yeah. I am stunned to hear Sean say that he's drawn to a filmmaker with a really, like, repressed (laughs) upbringing who moved to L.A. and uh, lived out the fantasy of the lonely man and Mm. sex and fashion and what is really driving all of us. I'm I'm stunned that this is something that Sean's interested in spending his time thinking about. I was also stunned. And Mallory (laughs) is one of our busiest podcasters, and we only bring you into the rewatchables when we really, really need you. (laughs) This movie reeks of sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's sweating out the sex as you're watching it. And uh, and Richard Gere, my mom's favorite actor ever. Really? Um, I thought she was going to be here today. I have to say. I asked her. I was like, do you want to do the rewatchable? She's like, no. But just make sure you talk about how gorgeous Richard Gere is. Yeah. Um, but he's just, this became a seminal Richard Gere part. We'll get into the Richard Gere part in a second. But this mm-hmm. movie, when you watch it. When you say the Richard Gere part, you mean his penis. Well, the, <laughs> and this created the side dick era, which we're, we're going to go into later. <laughs> Um, you'll be going, you guys will be going into that later. I'll, I'll be sitting that part out. But the sex, the sex piece of this and how it oozes out of the movie, really unusual. I don't, I don't think there was a precedent for a movie like this. I'm sure there are movies that had pieces of it, but I don't feel like there was a movie like this. There are movies that have more nudity. Right. That are maybe even more raw. Th- this movie is they not cool, though. N- right, this is like a cool movie about a guy who's in the sex world. But it's not about but a not guy really. who loves sex. No, you know, like that's not really. This isn't a horn dog. He's a he's a like a blue collar worker. You know, like Wall yeah. Street's first movie is called Blue Collar. It's about a bunch of guys who work in an auto factory. He right. kind of has a lot in common with this guy. He has a discipline. He has a job to do, and it's to get old women off. Yeah. Like, that's what he does. It's a very sexy movie, but I think actually revisiting it, there's less sex in the movie than Way maybe less. you remember. Yeah. And it's very much about sex as style and sex as a lens through which you discover and forge your own identity. Well, and sex as exploration. Yes. Because there's a gay subtext of this whole movie that yeah. um, I probably didn't notice as much when I was like 15. Yeah. 
but now it's that that's a piece of it too like even where the pimp works anyway i interrupted you no not at all i think it's a it's an it's interesting that a movie that is called american gigolo doesn't really have any authentically kind of like rewatchable sex scenes if you know what i mean you yeah. know what i mean it's not no. really a movie that is this isn't basic instinct you know what i mean it's not it titillates you in a different way. And that's very purposeful. You know, like that is clearly what Schrader was trying to do. Yeah. He was trying to tell a story that was um, transcendental. You know, yeah. it was intellectual in a way. And yeah. beautiful to look at, but not necessarily like setting your loins on fire. Yeah, it's it's surprising to say about a movie that features a pretty protracted stretch of side dick that becomes front dick for a, a brief <laughs> moment there. But it's actually less about like what you're seeing in those sex scenes and more about what you're not seeing, right? Like mm -hmm. what that's unlocking about the way that each of those characters thinks about sex, thinks about the sexual identity and awakening or like absence of that actual real connection and how much of that is really like cosplay yeah. and a way to sort of manufacture the sense of self that is so much a part of that larger self-aggrandizing identity in the early stretch of the film that ends up then being the perch from which our dear Julian Kay falls. This is my favorite era just in life, 77 to 79. <laughs> I just love it the most. Well, really? if, you could take, if you could time machine me to any part of American Why? history, I just like it. But I think it's because I was an only child watching all these movies and TV shows and the fucking cars and yeah. just mm. everything about it. Yeah, there was like a, there was a looseness to it. Mm -hmm. Everybody kind of did their own thing. It was depraved in a lot of different ways, but not in a way that it would feel completely depraved now. Nobody kind of knew any better with some of the stuff. The music was cool. The the clubs, the bars, like every, there was, it seems like there were no repercussions to anything. Like I always said, like New York in 1977, 78 range mm -hmm. would have been the coolest place to live because you have, Saturday Night Live taking off and the punk rock scene and you have disco and just all of these different things. All, the sports were amazing. But then you look at LA in 79, 80 range, which was also amazing because you had, and it was living through some of the shows, right? Like even a show like Charlie's Angels, just mm -hmm. like an unbelievable LA show, three hot female detectives driving cool cars around solving crimes. And so Brett Easton Ellis, he wrote about this in his book, White. This is why he loved this. He loved this movie, but he wrote the gliding camera movements, the gorgeous sets, the dramatic lighting, all aiding in the creation of Schrader's acid vision of Los Angeles as a brightly colored wasteland. This is a sunlit, neo-noir, ominous, and beautiful. Looking back, the impact American Jiggle had, I mean, it's impossible to tally. It was new, it was gay, it ended up influencing everything from the popularity of GQ magazine to how Calvin Klein began advertising men. This was weirdly yeah. like one of the most influential movies of the last 40 years, 40 plus years, because it created a look and a style. It created Armani. I mean, Armani, Armani existed, yeah, but absolutely. it this whole gear is like the forefront of something. You could even see it. Like I remember, oh, you're not old enough, Sean. The Rangers were in Ooh La La Sassoon jeans commercials. Mm -hmm. And like people, you had athletes trying to pretend they were Richard Gere and American Jiglo, basically. So there, there's something happening here. Yeah. And I think this movie captures it in a way I don't think any other 1980-81 movie captured. It has some critical components that made it a really unexpected success. If you saw Schrader's first couple of movies or even watched the movies that his screenplays were made out of Taxi Driver, Rolling Thunder, or the Yakuza, all that stuff that came in the 70s, you never would have thought that he would make a movie that is this sexy and stylish. But you also wouldn't think he would make a movie that was a hit. This movie's a big hit, and that influence that you're talking about is really significant. 
But in addition to essentially launching Armani, essentially launching Richard Gere into the stratosphere yeah. as far as mainstream movie stardom went. Apex Bondi. I was going to say a hit song. Had a hit song and an incredible score. The score is Giorgio Moroder. Moroder. And Moroder, who, you know, would go on to make do the score for Scarface and a number of other movies and became a huge figure in the in, in the world of music. And you put all that stuff together, and that's the stew, right? Like you don't I don't know if you can necessarily even strategize for these things because we'll talk about there's a lot of really fascinating what ifs around this movie with different yeah. stars and different mm-hmm. people could have yeah. been involved. But they it's got the end those of the pieces 70s right. too. It's a little bit the uh Jack Horner's New Year's Eve party heading into the 80s where the 70s were about to have the repercussions for this kind of hedonistic lifestyle that the 80s is everything's about to flip and it flips in this movie the first 30 minutes you're like this is amazing yeah oh my. we're, dri- we're <laughs> driving around Malibu <laughs> we're doing wardrobe choices laying our clothes out yeah, on the bed yeah he's Singing. just He's just having scene. sex with different yeah. people. We're he's, hanging he's upside down. Go, he's got the coolest braces. car on the planet. <laughs> like, we're off, man. And then it just starts to tilt. And by the end of the movie, the guy, you know, he's in jail looking through a glass at the love of his life. It's a great great point about the, the Boogie Nights, the changeover. I wonder if that's something that, I wonder if P, what PTA thinks about this movie. Because it almost is a real-time mm. excavation of that. And also, it being set in the time that it is. We're right on the precipice of the governor of California becoming the president of the United States. And who right. is the emblem of this kind of like go-go American exceptionalism that Reagan represents, right? And, you know, the, the, him being a critical figure in a movie like this becoming successful and becoming aspirational, even though it's like a pretty gnarly neo-noir about yeah. murder and prostitution. Yeah, well, that I think that question of the, the aspirational nature of the story and what is even intended there is like an interesting thing to think about. And some of that is maybe what you project onto the film or the characters when you're watching it at a certain point in your life. But that's where one of the many ways in which L.A. as a character is so central and so expertly deployed because there are all of those different slivers and slices of L.A. life. So you start... With the drive down the PCH and like what could be <laughs> best. what could be a better encapsulation an and oh. embodiment of the American dream. I've made it. I'm in my Benz, picking out my new suits. He's not just in by a the Benz. He's in the Benz. The, Benz. the 79 450 <laughs> SL. 450 SL. Fucking iconic. It's amazing. But that question throughout the film of like what room? Are you able to get into? What room do you want to be in and why? And then is that something you can create and forge for yourself? Or do you have to reconcile and grapple with that moment where you realize someone else has the ability to shut that door on you again? Like the city is just a a fully utilized way of unlocking that particular aspect of his journey. Well, and it's a totally different LA. And that's one of the reasons I love this movie. Having lived here now for 20 years. It's LA is still kind of a blank slate. Like this is, they're making this movie during the year Dr. Jerry Buss bought the Lakers, right? And he's putting together Showtime. Doesn't really exist yet. Hollywood exists, not in the way that it would exist over the next 40 years. Hollywood Boulevard, he drives down there a couple of times. Mm. It's clean, but it's kind of feels past its prime, but it's got the stars, but it's certainly not as decrepit as it is now. Mm-hmm. And then even like when he's driving down the PCH, it's old school PCH. There's none of those little like hard things in the middle. So the guys dividers, don't, so yeah. people don't veer into the other side of the street. It's just like a two lane highway Unencumbered. right on the beach. Yeah. 
he's just popping into Malibu Colony to one of the houses in his bends, getting out. <laughs> oh, there's my there's my madam and her two hookers lying on the deck. Like this LA is gone. It's, it doesn't exist anymore. It's right at that turning point from when it became it went from a company town to a commercial town, you know, to like a place where everyone came to it become became fancy. It yeah. wasn't fancy. You could freaking buy a house on the beach for the same way, you know, you could buy it anywhere else. But then Something shifts in the 80s and more wealth comes in the whole thing. It's a, this is a Beverly Hills movie too. That's the other thing. Oh, know, yeah. not, there were not all as many stories about the uh, that that elevated lifestyle that then took the, you know, the lifestyles of the rich and famous kind of launches right around this time too. And the idea of kind of objectifying everything agents, in our lives. Nobody knew who agents were right. in the 70s. Yes. By the 80s, there were super agents and stars were bigger. Mm-hmm. Like in the 80s, you had these, even though we had like Newman and Red Owens, all those people, but in the 80s, you felt like these stars were happening in real time where it's like Eddie Murphy is becoming a star. Sly Stallone is becoming an A-plus lister. And the mechanism of yeah, People Magazine, Entertainment Tonight, yeah. all these things start coming along. Yeah, you're right. And then in the late 80s, the people critically assessing some of the superstar because that's when Spy Magazine comes in mm-hmm. and premiere and eventually Entertainment Weekly. And now, now we have people that are... But in 79, nobody knew. Anybody could be a star. Schrader said... This is his quote. Los Angeles is probably the most photographed city in the world. Not positive I agree with that, but I'll keep going. The challenge was how <laughs> to make Beijing at this point. Yeah. But yeah. The challenge was how to make it seem fresh. In the end, I turned to Italy, Giorgio Moroder for the music, Giorgio Armani for the clothes, hmm. and Fernando Scarfiati for the design. And that's why this movie has such a cool look to it. And he catches two waves at the perfect time. Armani and clothes and what Armani's impact on fashion is going to be starts with this movie. And then this weird tangerine dream, Giorgio, Giorgio Moroder with like this amazing movie soundtrack with Thief the Next Year with Michael Mann, mm-hmm. tangerine dream, risky business. Like there's this four-year stretch. Blade Runner, I think is in there, but yeah. And Vangelis, another, I think is another yeah, figure yeah. there in the, in the music. And it's sort of like the synthy yeah. sleek, Modern, almost futuristic sounding scores that Miami also have Vice like a dream quality. Yeah. yeah, I think Michael Mann is very inspired by American Gigolo. I think he's very inspired by this by Schrader films by Schrader for sure. Mm. So, I just feel like this is a pivotal, shifty moment. But this is also like a noir movie. Like we've been making these kind of movies for how many years? Yeah, eighty years. Yeah, it's, it's a, somebody gets framed for murder and he's gonna right. figure it out. It's but, just that he has a cool job and he's dressed really good. Right. But that like that kind of feels like a parallel to the noir and the into the neo-noir and going to tap into Italy, the synth modern music, but this like old, deeply steeped and rooted fashion sense that is at once like hyper modern, driving us into this new age, but connected to something that feels like the oldest money in the world, yeah. yeah, you know? And so that unlocks to that aspect of where Julian is navigating into this world that he knows he was not a part of and not born into and is trying to penetrate this, like, nouveau riche striver mentality. And the the music, the fashion, all of it is very of a piece with that larger pursuit, I think. That's, I mean, this is, a, that's a theme that's been now in TV and movies. You say it in Prestige TV, White Lotus yeah. Season 2. The... You guys haven't seen it I yet. Seen it. No. By the time people are the rewatchables, they'll see the first episode. But there's two Italian, basically hookers, that are trying to get in with Michael Imperioli's character. Right? Same thing. It's like I want to be in this world. Right. This is the richest, coolest world. How do I get in? I don't belong here, but I'm going to try to figure it out. Which is kind of hanging over this movie with gear too, right? He goes to Palm Springs. 
has sex with this weird couple while the husband's watching. He goes hang out with that older lady who's in town from wherever. There's another person coming from Sweden, and it's like, gets to dabble in this world, but he's not really a part of it. It's a jet-setting yeah. lifestyle that he's insinuating himself into by yes. providing this service. But, I mean, and maybe we'll, we can wait to talk about this, but, like, this isn't, this movie doesn't, it glamorizes, but doesn't, like, and authenticates, but doesn't support the materialism that the decade is defined oh, by. Yeah. Like, it's a rejection yeah, of that, absolutely. really, in a lot of ways. So it's interesting that, like, its effects and the things that we like about it, that we talk about, that we'll celebrate in the conversation, that wasn't the, po- like, that wasn't supposed to be the takeaway. The takeaway wasn't supposed to be you should dress in Armani. You know, it was supposed to be the material that, things don't matter. Makes, isn't that what makes Schrader so fascinating, though? Because he's commenting on this thing that he clearly doesn't love, but he's doing it in a way where he makes you want to fall in love with the characters and the lifestyle. Yeah, but then, he, then yeah. he kicks you in the nuts with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true. The takeaway of First Reformed wasn't supposed to be put Pepto-Bismol in your bourbon, and yet you've been <laughs> right. doing it every night since. Every night that I watch the New York Mets, that's when I do it. Uh, so, so in the Schrader universe... What spot does this movie occupy? Is this the most important movie he made for him as a director? Like just his, is it the first movie people would mention? Mm, I still think even though he didn't direct it, Taxi Driver is the thing he will be most associated with forever. Um, Gosh, it's, it's probably the movie that set up his career as a filmmaker. Yeah. And allowed him to make, I mean, he's made, 25 movies at this point and he's still extremely active and as, as like I said before as good as he's ever been I don't know if it's his it's definitely not his best movie which is kind of what's interesting about it like I think no. I think it's his most influential though probably because probably so many of the aspects of this just got ripped off and like the movies we're doing this month I think what's cool about them is each one brings you into some sort of world mm-hmm. right and this is one of the best things about this movie. I'm just in a world. I don't know this world. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm in LA. I'm hanging out with this dude who has sex with women and maybe a couple men in there, but they don't really address it. And he's moving around. He's navigating this giant city that I don't really understand. He's going to Malibu and Beverly Hills and Palm Springs, all these different places in a cool car. But he knows it's kind of fucked up. And then things flip on him. So. I wanted to ask you both this because I can't tell even now and even after having read a lot of interviews with the people who were part of the movie, did he invent this world and this Los Angeles or was he journalistically kind of manifesting something that was there and putting it on screen because Mm. it's so attractive that you could see someone walking out of the movie, buying the soundtrack, going to Barney's, getting an Armani suit and then kind of like embodying what Julian represents but how much but of it, it is constructed, empty. you yeah. know? Like, how much of it is... And, and how much of it was Trader saying, like, here's the real L.A., and I'm trying to make the real L.A.? Like, can a movie be that influential that it can almost, like, create a strand of society? Because it, it does feel like it's trying to do that. And, like, it's not long before Pat Riley is, in a you know, in, a, in an Armani suit on the sidelines of a Lakers game. Like, it had a real-world impact yeah. in the way that people looked, dressed, talked, thought about each other, built their own personas. See, I don't feel like he created it. I feel like... A lot of times with the movies that end up lasting, they're tapping into a world that already exists, but nobody had really thought about it or put it in the right perspective yet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's like where the subculture idea comes in, right? Casting a light and like centering not only a specific sliver of life, but the many different strands of LA subcultures that the movie is like kind of 
stitching together into its specific tapestry of L.A. And obviously, like, one of the interesting things about L.A. in film and real life and any number of respects is just L.A. can kind of be whatever you want it to mm-hmm. be, right? There's no one L.A. The one L.A. is the many L.A.s inside of it. And so, like, this particular focus— we're going to take you inside of the Beverly Hills Hotel and the auction at Sotheby's, but we're also going to take Sunset Plaza Apartments. Yeah, we're also going to take you into the nightclubs at 3 a.m. and the back deck of the beach where the person you're turning to is maybe your only lifeline is also telling you they think you probably did the thing and what does it yeah. mean if like that's your support network mm-hmm, and this is the mm-hmm. way you live your life the record shop like the west westwood is is an interesting area for Tower records? a lot of the movie to spend time in because there's like a a hip youthful quality it's to like that a college town yeah, yeah to that part of LA right the proximity to UCLA etc that is also then a totally different element from the other aspects of the film and that version of L.A. So I think it's like that specific brew and the way that they're presented in, in tandem mm-hmm. as the the things that Julian is moving in and out of. Right, the underbelly and the mainstream. Yeah. yeah. I don't think any movie in my life has captured all the attractive things about L.A., but that are also like super vapid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, where it's like, you're just watching him drive down the PCH and you're like, why doesn't everyone live here? You know, or... He's navigating the Beverly Hills Hotel world, and it's like that seems like the coolest place in the world. But then when you actually live here, it's like, eh, you I've do been to all these places. You do all that stuff, right? Yeah. And you check it off the list, and then you don't want that's that to not really your what life. your life is about. Right. Exactly, it's not that you don't do that every day. Although, it if make there sense. were two hookers on the on the deck in my beach house <laughs> with the madam, I don't know. I could talk myself into that if I was single. <laughs> but that's the thing is, like, it's his job to live that lifestyle. He has to, it's, it's literally work. If we had to podcast at the Beverly Hills Hotel and then have drinks every day, maybe we would feel differently about we it. We would turn into horrible people. That sounds great. Do you think he likes his life? Well, I, I, that's what I was just going to say, actually. Before I think it that, falls apart, I'm saying up until the moment, do you think he actually likes it? I think that he thinks he's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that, like, this idea of... Julian Kay is this agent of pleasure and like the lone man in the universe who has the nobility, (laughs) dare we say, courage to pursue the female orgasm. It's like he just has turned himself into a superhero in his mind. And the the cloak (laughs) is Yeah, the cloak is not a magical cloak. It's an Armani suit. And like the I think his own apartment is one of the most interesting sets for that idea because on the one hand, it's this sanctuary. Like he tells Michelle, I don't Women don't come here, right? It's yeah. a separate thing. But it, it it's almost more of like a museum storeroom than a home. It's just full of all these things he's been collecting to surround himself with reminders that he's like, quote unquote, made it. Yeah. But think about the number of times that that space is disrupted and how that specifically, mm. the coming in from the and seeing the police raid, everything's everywhere. Like the idea that he has to tear up his own apartment because he thinks they've planted the jewels there. That disruption forces him into this state, among other things, of just constant paranoia where he can't be comfortable in his own life. And that's like, does he like his own life? Does he think this is what he wants? Like, he, he's he's constantly having to confront the fact that it's all an illusion. And Leon's a really interesting character in that respect, too, because even though he's the one who's framing Julian at the end, 
and isn't someone you're supposed to trust. He's also the one who's issuing these warnings to him throughout the film, like keeps bringing up his rich pussy, right? And saying to him, like, they're going to turn on you and then you're through. And Mm. he was right. Most of Schrader's uh, protagonists are compared to monks and he talks about the monastic lifestyle and he's, you know, raised in this very religious environment. And this is like, halfway through the movie, it's like if a monk was shown incontrovertible proof that there is no God. And it's like, what happens to your life if you're on top of the world and you're this incredibly sexy gigolo and you've got the best clientele and you're making money and you drive in your Mercedes and then something turns and you both find you, you get love in your life, which is something you're not supposed to have access to because you have a job to do. And also everything might be taken away from you. All your possessions, mm. all your freedom, everything is going to go. It's a really clever idea for a movie. It's weird that I was going to do this later, but do it now. The one thing that's missing is cocaine. He cocaine has the one. Not, there's the mirror, the, the the running the finger over the mirror in the one. But I would have thought like this is the cocaine era. Yeah. It's the cocaine era for filmmakers. It's Paul Schrader is no stranger. Paul Schrader was no stranger, as were any of his peers. Um, it's more of a cocktail. Movie and it's weird that there is. Yeah, it's like he almost doesn't want that in there. But I feel like L.A. and New York cocaine. Is everywhere at this point. The uh, but again, I think like he does that in his own. We see him do cocaine in his own home alone. But like the kind of women that he's attempting to surround himself with probably aren't doing cocaine. They're drinking fancy cocktails. Yeah, maybe. Um, let's take a break. I have two more questions. Then we'll do the categories. This episode is supported by State Farm. Think about your first reaction after you have an accident. What do you do? You scream, oh no, or man, why did this happen? On the flip side, let's say you buy a new car or you lease a new car, get in there and it smells great and you're like, man, this is awesome. But just remember, really the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, coming back. The most interesting thing in this movie from a philosophical standpoint is Lauren Hutton's character is basically Mm -hmm. like, can I please you Mm -hmm. in the right way? And he's... He's basically like, I'm dead inside. This is what I do for a job, for a living. You'll never please me the way I can please you. We have one of the world's renowned sex experts here, Mallory Rubin. Um, <laughs> what's going on there? Is he is oh, he God. in the closet? Is it no woman can please him? Or is it like he's just been doing this for so long, that part of him has been murdered? When you watch a basketball game, Bill, do you get pleasure out of it anymore? Yes. Especially when it's Russell Westbrook <laughs> taking a jumper with 30 seconds left <laughs> up one. I do. I think this idea that he has forged his entire sense of self around his career as a gigolo, his ability to give pleasure to other people, has like, he's like disassociated from. It, it brings him pleasure almost like emotionally and spiritually. Like when he stand there saying, who else would take the time? There is, I, I think, like a sincere and earnest pride there that is, he he might as well be saying he's like 
figured out world peace, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. He believes that he has achieved something like singular and meaningful. But when Michelle says, I can't give you any pleasure and you can't fool me, he's like not open to his own personal pursuits because it's this thing that is like a carefully crafted facade. So if he allows that to soften, much like his penis in the side dick seen by the mini blinds, as we'll get to, (laughs) there's a vulnerability there, you know? It really requires opening yourself up to potentially getting hurt. And like when... When he hears the, the most vulnerable moment for him is ultimately when he like breaks down at the end, hearing that Michelle loves him. And it's like, this is a, again, there's a lot of sex, there's a murder, there's framing, it's a crime thriller. This is like ultimately just a guy who doesn't have a single meaningful connection with anybody in his life until he can find that with Michelle. So I know we're not going to talk about the show a lot today, by the way, but I will say it was interesting to me in the premiere of that, that they kind of went out of their way to address this specific question right. with that scene where. Julian slash Johnny in the show is like, no, when I'm with you, it's real. When I'm with you, it's a different, different thing. And I think Julian in the film here has to really work his way to that kind of clarity. But still, even from the jump, never takes the money, doesn't want that from her, right? So he knows he needs a different kind of connection and feels that with her. But like, this isn't a guy who really can let himself be happy. I think there's another part of it, though, too, which is that ambiguity and mystery are an essential part of his work, that he has to seem unattached and dynamic, and the same is true for the murder case for most of the movie. You don't really know whether he did it or not. They withhold a lot of information in this Mm -hmm. movie for a long stretch of time, the same way Julian would withhold information about how he feels about things, other than just this performance of sexual godlike, you know, uh, power. And it's it's all, like, really, really clever, I think. This idea of, like, restraint, repression putting all your feelings over here so that you can do what you need to do over here. Like, that's, yeah. a, that's a big theme of the movie, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, he's got that scene after he has sex with Lauren Hutton one of the times, and then it comes around, it sounds like he's talking dirty to her, but he's on the, on phone. the phone. Yeah. And she's I, just lying next to him, and it's like, incredible. Scene. oh, man, okay, yeah. so you can just turn this on, like... But that's a perfect example, actually, because he's like, oh, I've got a heart on, oh, I'm going to have to hang up and jerk off immediately, and then we see him, and he's like, Definitely right. not aroused and yeah. also is just ready to order a croissant Can we get breakfast? for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. So it's a show. And like if his entire sense of self is I'm the one who brings you pleasure, then there's no room for anything else. Like that's his mm-hmm. that's his whole pursuit, being that guy. But I think it's interesting that he spends a lot of time talking to Michelle about figuring out what you want and like taking your pleasure where you can. And what pleasure even means to him. Because even though his life is sex, it's like sexual gratification in his direction is not really the point for him. I Listen, I identified that when I was bartending, same thing. <laughs> when you become that good at giving other people pleasure yeah. and it just yeah. becomes a rotating group of people, like you end up not looking out for yourself as much. I identified. What was your go-to cocktail that you made that just gave people pleasure? Was there something in particular that you just you just nailing rum and cokes? Like what happened? The BS cocktail. Um, Do you ever make a cocktail for someone who hadn't had one in ten years and you spent three hours making it to get it exactly right? Got to get that thing perfect. Let's talk about the Travolta piece of this. We're going to step step on casting what ifs. It's too important for casting Huge. what ifs. Yeah, Travolta who's going to come up later in sleazy, sexy, what did I call it? Sleazy, sexy, seedy. Sleek. Sleek. Early 80s. 
sex noir month. You've added it's a really couple, catchy. a couple new words. Nice, concise, <laughs> easy to rolls right off the tongue. Early eighties sex neo noir month. <laughs> sure, getting better. Travolta's on a heater. He's mm-hmm. he's done Saturday Night Fever and Grease back to back. He has to do moment by moment and pretend he'd been Lily Tom and are attracted to each other. One of the funniest movies ever made. <laughs> <laughs> His casting's announced for this movie in 1978. He's a he's in a variety photo spread wearing Armani, but then when they go to film the movie in 1979, he decides to drop out. And there's a lot of different reasons why he dropped out. He is the biggest under 30 star in the world at this point. Him mm-hmm. being in this movie, it actually probably you could argue it might have been bigger. I think you could make the case that if if he he was in it, it would have staved off his 1980s dip. It could have. Because he he does make Urban Cowboy, which is also a big hit and a big movie for him. But after that, you know, yeah, blow out in a couple of good movies. But the 80s are pretty grim for him. It it, it turns fast. So he, the official story was that he dropped out to deal with his mother's death and father's illness. Now, Schrader, one of the great things about Schrader. <sighs> honest. Honest, <laughs> remembers everything, or at least his version of the events, isn't afraid to talk about it. Talks a lot of shit. Schrader says... He had two things here. I got a call from Kit Carson, who'd been living with Karen Black, who's an actress and a Scientologist. And he said, you didn't hear this from me, but John's been talking about dropping out in the Scientology meetings. Then Schrader, who said this recently in the last like five years, said Travolta was, quote, freaked by the homosexual stuff. He was very much in the closet at the time and started to realize that a lot of the people involved in the film were gay and that it'd be a gay take on the material, even though his manager, Bob Lamont, was very gay. Maybe it was Bob himself who started getting comfortable. Then there was another piece where supposedly he wanted final cut approval. He kept all the Armani suits and he dropped out two weeks. I couldn't believe Schrader said the Travolta stuff. I didn't know he said that. He was very much in the closet at the time. Wow. Let me just give you a little context for this. Yeah. His new movie is called Master Gardener. It doesn't have a release date yet, but I just saw it a few weeks ago. And it's about a guy who's a master gardener. He's a lonely man who masters his craft, who also is a former proud boy. He's a former neo-Nazi. And it's Mm. an empathetic portrait of redemption in the face of being a neo-Nazi. Like, this is what he does. Like, he is like, I don't fucking care. And you know who he wanted to play the part? Joel Edgerton plays the part, but he wanted Kevin Spacey to play the part in 2022. Mm. Oh, my God. Like, Trader is a little unhinged and a real provocateur. And in part, I think he sometimes gives interviews in which the purpose of the conversation is to draw you out and talk to have you talk about it on a podcast because he is expert at that. Whether or not all of that is true about Travolta, it's all speculation, obviously. It's all, it's, yeah. it's impossible to tell. But what I will say is that the final cut thing, that feels like an excuse a star gives to, to not do something, you know, and not really the reason. To, to put Schrader in perspective, there's a book called Schrader on Schrader. <laughs> He's like, all of my interviews I've given up over the years, they're not enough. How about a whole book where I just talk? Sean has wow. it. Wow. Yeah. Do you carry that around with you every day or did you bring it just today? I've been reading it to my daughter, Alice, at night yeah. as she goes to sleep. Yeah, That book came out since Your I knew Testament. Sean and it was basically like... Um, it was a big day. It was like Noah's Ark had, had just been released. <laughs> That's the paperback. You have the hardback. I don't have the He's hardback. Got- Folio Society special yeah. edition, custom illustrations. <laughs> so as Sean said... Schrader does Urban Cowboy, which is a huge hit, but a little different. Travolta does Urban Cowboy. I'm sorry, yeah. Travolta. And uh, and then does Blowout, which, spoiler, w- might be coming up this month as a movie. <laughs> Great movie. Um, <laughs> might be my second favorite Travolta performance. Oh, wow. Richard Gere was our fourth choice. I'm not going to give you the other two until we get to casting whatever. He jumped in two weeks before shooting. He had been in Looking for Mr. Goodbar, which <sighs> is... 
a really good movie with one of the most disturbing endings to the point we would never do it on the rewatchables because it's not a rewatchable because once you get to the last 15 minutes. Have you seen that one? No. Oh okay, my you, God. That's like, that's some good you homework for you one. to check yeah, it out. Yeah, that's. Because it's a little bit of a precursor to this movie and a handful is. of the other movies that we're talking about. It And it it's about the sexual revolution. It's about a woman who's going, who is a teacher who kind of cruises bars at night looking for men to have increasingly based on a famous book complicated and sometimes violent sex with um stars Dan Keaton and Richard Gears becomes obsessed with her in the movie it's it's actually probably one of the best Diane Keaton performances she's in very the movie. she's really she's good awesome in it. it's an interesting movie it's you're right though the ending we were, we were the last about 15 a minutes ago. is it's it's, up. yeah it's too they, it goes too far um but anyway gear is on the map with that and then it's kind of lingering. He's in a couple of the movies, but it never happens. And as so often, I mean, ironically, this happened with him with Pretty Woman with Julia Roberts, mm-hmm. where it's like perfect part, bunch of people passed on it. Begrudgingly, they go with this young unknown and they blow up and become a phenomenon. He becomes a phenomenon. Yeah. Can, and then- Can I can I just ask you both like yeah, what you think it would have been with Travolta? Like, Because <laughs> I assume you find Richard Gere more attractive and, and more right for the part of Julian. Yes, I think so. Though I do think Travolta would have been great. I think he does have that sexual charisma, and also I think the the is this guy secretly gay or not stuff would have been really fascinating yeah. with Travolta. Yeah, but I think Gear played into that too. Like Gear said, it was one of the things that attracted him to the role was that that and and kind of scared him off on the role. At he the same pleads time. kind of ignorance though. He's like, yeah. I don't know anything about gay culture at all. So this was interesting to me because yeah. I was not, I had no familiarity with it at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, Travolta is more complicated, I think. Gear yeah. is certainly more believable in terms of the, I'm not going to talk about like where I came from or my past and mm. this, I, this, this sense of the, the unknown of what this person's history is, which again, as Bill and I and probably very few other people know, has been a central focus of the reimagining on the television show. Yeah. But yeah, I think that Gear is, is in that sense of like, what's this guy's story? What's his history? Where did he come from? What was his life like before? Probably a better well, fit he, for that part of it. He owes a lot to Travolta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Travolta passes this up. Travolta turns down Officer and a Gentleman. It becomes the defining Gear movie of the 80s. I, I love that It's movie. still an amazing movie. It will be on the rewatchables <laughs> that, at some That point. might be like my mom's favorite. I think she would point to that as the seminal Richard Gere experience in her life. I saw that movie with my mom and stepdad and the sex scene felt like it was going on for five hours. It was one of the most awkward movie theater moments <laughs> of my life. I also Deborah saw Winger on top of her, like on top of child. gear. It's yeah. just like, can this end, please? <laughs> um, and then also was Chicago. Was your mom just cackling? Was she just like, yes! My mom was on a gear heater. <laughs> she saw Breathless in the theater, like the whole thing. She Breathless is like her favorite gear movie. I was going to say, like, he... This movie is American Gigolo is the one that confirms it, but he's really he's like the lord of the kind of erotic, passionate, sexual thriller. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's really been in so many of these movies as recently as like um, Unfaithful. You know, like he's he's. But really, that was what's weird about one. Unfaithful is he plays the cuckold basically yes. in that one. Yeah. Normally, he would have been the guy yeah. stealing the wife. Yeah, but that's what's part that's of what's smart. clever about yeah. it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So Giro's a lot to Travolta, but Gear just hits at the right time and it's a weird market correction it's like an anti-market correction where Travolta is going to get offered all the gear parts before gear but didn't want to do half of them so then gear just steps in and crushes it Mm -hmm. as like the handsome leading man guy and then Goldman wrote about this in one of his books like gear 
goes on one of the worst movie stretches that anyone's had. He <laughs> has anti-hits for six, seven straight years. Movies like King David and things like that. Yeah. yeah. And by the time it gets to Pretty Woman, he's like the 130th choice for Pretty Woman. But then he's in Pretty Woman and he's great. And they're looking for somebody like Richard Gere and it turns out he's right there all along. But he's been in so many bad movies. Right. He's like just box office poison. So him and Travolta had a bizarre 80s. Travolta's career is over by the end of the 80s. Yeah, Travolta doesn't work as much as Gear. Gear makes a lot of movies Gear's in the pumping 80s. them out. Um, I like Power, the Sidney Lumet movie. Power's he was pretty in. good, That's yeah. pretty good. It wasn't a hit, Didn't it was make pretty it, good. Um, yeah. And then I think in the 90s, he's like kind of in the firmament of Hollywood. Like, he's pretty much in a movie every year. Some of them are good, some of them are not. Some of them are weird, like King Arthur movies, but some of them are Primal Fear, yeah. you know? And, and Internal Affairs. Internal affairs. Yeah, he's got a, Pretty Woman are the same well, And Travolta had the resurgence, too, in the 90s, yeah. so that was good. Uh, the music, the score got nominated for uh, Golden Globe, and then Blondie, was the song was number one for weeks and weeks and was the biggest song of their, of their career. Awesome song. <laughs> one of the great songs... <laughs> The, there's no downside to it coming on ever at any point and I think that really helped the movie as well five million dollar budget 52 million bucks not bad pretty good business our guy Raj <laughs> three and a half stars from Roger Ebert he said this whole movie has a winning sadness about it take away the story's sensational aspects and what you have is a study in loneliness it's and true. gravity boots nailing it. Nailed it Raj nailing yeah. it Raj <laughs> love to hear it <laughs> I was actually surprised he liked it because I would have thought he would have been like not sold on the. Roger's a story guy. I mm, thought he would have been true. worried about the story. It's not the I do best think story a lot movie. of other critics felt that way. Yeah. yeah, for what it's worth, it's a little yeah. a lot. A lot of Schrader's movies are a little airy. They're yeah. a little about atmosphere and about psychology. Vibes. They're not about yeah. story. Was Paul and Kale pro or anti Schrader? Uh, I want to say pro. I feel like she was pro too. Yeah, I feel like she was. I pro. mean, De Palma was her guy. But yes. Um, Schrader, I'm sure was she might have even defended Obsession, which is the De Palma Schrader team up, which is like much maligned even <laughs> even by De Palmaites. It's like one of his le least yeah. successful. All right, let's see the categories. Most rewatchable scene. Woo! The opening credits yeah. are flat out incredible, Beautiful. amazing. <laughs> we have the 450 SL. We have Blondie. We have an Armani fitting. Good to see him trying stuff. <laughs> I'm also giving it the Pursuit of Happiness Best Needle Drop Award. Wow. And the Great Shot Gordo Award for the high shot of him driving down the PCH. Mm -hmm. I could have watched that for five hours. Beautiful. Oh. Love it. For the people listening out there, at some point in life, you have to drive down the PCH. <laughs> it just has to be done. It's great. It's the most important 40-minute car ride that anyone's ever had. Yeah. It really is. So I recommend that. Can anyway, I, can, can I just make a quick point? The then? car and the PCH and the arm. It's just, wow. This movie shot by John Bailey, former president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. No. No. Former president of the Academy, yeah, of Ampus. Um, this is his first big movie. And then six months later, he goes off and shoots Ordinary People. And then he goes on <gasps> to like one of the great oh, cinematography careers of, of in recent Hollywood history. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. What a stretch for our guy. Good tidbit. Yeah. Remember Fucked Up Family February? <laughs> was, was it better than Sex Neo Noir early 80s month? I think they're both great. Thank you. Uh, the first Gear Hutton scene yes. in the hotel. You're something really special, aren't you? You want to talk. I saw you sitting here. You wanted me to come over. I came over. I know what I see. How much would you have charged me? As what, a translator or a guide? No. 
Just one fuck. Now you've made a mistake. I don't do that. You don't, huh? I know what I see, too. I see a okay. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Madame Just. Don't spoil it. Bon chance. This chemistry galore. Hutton not Meryl Streep. No. I will say um, could have been. I will say um one of my favorite kind of females, fe- celebrity females of all time. Meaning like where how she existed in our culture. I just loved her. She was like I a, loved her a, model. a kid. I love her now. Yeah. I love that the gap. The, Hollywood kept trying to fix the gap and it's like keep the fucking gap the gap is great yep. and in the movie shows them the gap which is a what's age the worst for me mm. give her the fucking gap the gap was what made her she was lights out anyway and the gap made her great voice great everything I wish she'd Still been in more lead. movies Sean's in my mom had a gap and uh, she was a very pro Lauren Hutton for this exact reason she's like she deserves to be famous with the gap I love it yeah it is that that first conversation is amazing the French <laughs> like, sorry, oh my God. French. But that whole like the I misunderstanding. Literally, are we speaking the same language or not? Yeah. Right. But also in the subtext and the text of what they're saying. This is, of course, the absolutely iconic no just one fuck moment where you're like, oh, this is the kind of movie we're about to get. <laughs> yeah. Sensational. Sensational. She, um, <laughs> in the 70s, the, there's only a couple supermodels you knew about. It was the Sports Illustrated ones, which basically Cheryl Teagues was mm-hmm. the biggest one. Mm-hmm. And then Lauren Hutton was Revlon and I think one other thing, but she was just, as a kid, I only knew like three models. And then she starts popping in movies too. Mm-hmm. But um, she occupies a really weird place because I feel like if she comes along 20 years later, she's probably like a billionaire. Because you, you see right. like the how the Cindy Crawford and Giselle and yeah. how people have really figured out how to monetize a look in a different way. But in the late 70s, you weren't going to know how to do that. So it's everybody's move was, oh, we'll put them in movies. Like that happened with Maude Adams, who's mm-hmm. in my beloved Rollerball. <laughs> and she's in some fucked up movies like Tattoo with Bruce Dern. Yeah. She's um, beautiful. Beautiful. But that was like, what is she going to do? It's like, oh, I'll model and then I'll make some movies. And it would kind of go either way. Lauren Hutton ends up being a big part of this movie. There's some interesting casting what ifs with that part, though. Yeah. That we can debate when we get there. <laughs> This I is- really like that scene. I like the old 1979 LA hotel scene with the booths and like the weird kind of ugly fabric, yeah. but it's cool. And there's like a pristineness about it. With the and lighting like, and the red lighting. Everything. It's pink a light. and red cool. in there. Yeah. But also like the exchanging jackets moment. Like oh, yeah. the way that you understand with just that little shorthand that this is where he This lives. is his world. Yeah. This yeah. is his world. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh the next one I have for most rewatchable scene I wrote down Julian's Palm Springs cuck fuck. <laughs> is that fair? It's fair description. <laughs> uh, is this a rewatchable scene? Is I my have, question. I have it on my list I too. I fucking hate so. it. It's, it's so weird. You have to have a super weird gigolo here. scene in here. You have Top to. Here. It tells you everything, obviously, about what his job actually is. Yes. Um, a stoned older lady just lying on a bed. Well, with, it's on the heels of him saying to Michelle in the prior scene, like, that, oh no, you've made a mistake. Like, that's not what I do. And yeah. then we immediately see what he does. Yes, although I like the differentiation between what Nina Van Palen's character gives yes. him, the kind of clientele versus what Leon's, Leon's jobs, jobs are, Definitely. you know? 
Definitely. The guy's like the perfect guy for it too. The uh, oh my God, Mr. He's got Ryman. like that weird yeah. wig. It's like that weird color. He's just a creep. He's just so. You just I definitely like sat next to that couple at dinner in Palm Springs. And oh, I'm yeah. like, okay, what what kind of weird S and M shit are you guys doing with gigolos? Great oh stuff. God. And then he just kicks in the gear. Oh baby, I know how to please you. Very sexy lady. Very good looking woman. Very pretty woman. You're gonna like me. I can tell. Because I like you. I like you. So just relax. Close your eyes. I think there's a You're case. You're a good looking woman. <laughs> a very, very, very good looking lady. <laughs> I think that there's a case that even though it is quickly transformed into a very disturbing scene because of the husband's role, and then, of course, certainly rewatching it when you know what ha- what what is going to come with the murder, it's deeply disturbing. But just for Julian and the gear performance, mm-hmm. that stretch, first of all, the dialogue, unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> but the way that he is moving in his body and like interacting like with Judy the like gently caressing her face and the way that he's undressing like the there's this almost like choreography and like mm. lyrical flow to what he's doing and it's just fascinating and it's really intimate and sexy in a way that like you're supposed to be shocked out of that right and yeah. you are Quite forcefully. Yeah, Ryman drops a very unfortunate line of dialogue. I can take care of you, though. Like that, the way that he. It's a dance, right? He's doing a dance. He does it in internal affairs, too. Gear had this side to him that he only unleashed in a couple movies, but where you just felt like, I'm not leaving my wife or my daughter alone with that guy for five (laughs) seconds. (laughs) <laughs> that they'll just both be gone. Uh, um, but he d- he didn't tap into it a lot. A lot of times he, you know, he did in like breathless movies like that. But by the time he got to like mid late eighties, he was trying to be no, I'm not that guy anymore. A serious actor. Then yeah. Internal Affairs. It's the best part of Internal Affairs. The guy's just a complete maniac, and he's great. Next one I have is just called Gear Gets Dressed. It's mm-hmm. amazing. It's amazing. And that's just Schrader just fucking cooking. Schrader, that's Schrader style. pulling up from thirty. Yep. It's like, watch this. Pure style. Yeah. Next one I have is Naked Gear telling Hutton an orgasm story. <laughs> Craig, just play that clip for us. The night I met you at the hotel, I was with a woman, somebody's mother. Her husband didn't care about her anymore. This woman hadn't had an orgasm in maybe 10 years. It took me three hours to get her off. For a while there, I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. But when it was over, I felt like I'd done something. Something worthwhile. Who else would have taken the time or cared enough to do it right? Oh, my God. Mallory, when it was over, I felt like I'd done something <laughs> worthwhile. <laughs> Is this is this you after uh, yeah, Westbrook goes mid-90s. 0 for 9 and you record a pod that night? <laughs> right, yeah. It's like, Westbrook went 0 for 22? I felt like I did something worthwhile. Um, Amazing. This scene. is also uh, the side deck. It is. 
It is. The side dick by the by the mini blinds. The way that he's like rubbing his stomach and like weird. trying to stand in a certain posture. It has a very like paint me in the nude kind of. No <laughs> man has ever touched quality. themselves in that way. No one stands that way, but that's part of why it works so well. Like it feels so staged, but also weirdly and counterintuitively because of that. Like you really are seeing someone in their element in a way that like you shouldn't be. And that whole conversation that they're having and what he's revealing in that moment about the way that he thinks about the work is just absolutely incredible. Like, that, I, <laughs> something worthwhile. It's just amazing. It's Honestly, it's an amazing scene. Well, it's also, I think, one of the first times ever, like, a male star yeah. flashed some, some Johnson in a movie. <laughs> that's that, what it said in the script. Uh, it said Julian flashes some Johnson. Flashes some side no, that, Johnson. But that's the thing is, it's not, it was not in the script, was, according to Gary. Right. He was no, just it was like, not. it's time for me to, Felt to right. show it off. But it became part of the marketing in the movie. Like, Dress to Kill, which came out the same year, a big part of it was Angie Dickinson in the beginning. She's showering. And they cut to a body double, and it makes it seem like it's her, but it's not. And then the body double became part of the marketing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, here's who's the body double, and it's Angie Dickinson. You've never seen her like this. And um, the gear nudity thing, I think, was a piece of this movie. Like, yeah. And the guy throws it. You slightly disappointing though. I thought it was great. No, I mean, I I, I felt like he could have maybe done, done some self fluffing a little bit. Like like now we're in the self fluffing era. <laughs> mm-hmm. Any guy who gets naked in a movie, you could tell they're like, can you be like. Yeah. You know, 30 seconds yep. here to really get some blood down there. Grower. Here's like, I'm just. It's a grower, not I'm a just, shower, I'm maybe. Just... You know? Uh, I got no comment on Gears, <laughs> gears Girth. I thought it was all wonderful. Yeah. Won't be telling my grandkids about it. <laughs> Julian. Uh, next one Julian versus Detective Sunday, Hector Elizondo. Love it. They would team up again in Pretty Women yeah. in the Shoe Shine place. Shoeshine. It's an amazing scene. I'll tell you what. <clears throat> you lay off my clients, I'll give you a few pointers picking up women, okay? How's that? First, obviously, you dress for shit. Anybody can fix that, no problem. It's your face. 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 <laughs> and your body. What's wrong with your body? You got back problems? You look like a monkey sitting there. Hey, back, shoulders, back, back. Work the jaw. Work the jaw. Exercise. You don't want it slack. Up tight, tight, tight. Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> Would you be willing to come in for a lineup? Do they have shoe shine places anywhere? Uh, I think the shoe shine the was airport, way bigger in the seventies. I think in the airport you can still get that yeah. done in certain airports. Good cat and mouse game. I like a good cat and mouse game. Cat and mouse game dialogue. Elizondo is elite. He's really good. First, so good. Obviously, you dress for shit. Anybody can fix that. No problem. It's your face, bad face. <laughs> and <laughs> your, your body. body. What's wrong with your body? And it was that's, that's, just that's, laughing. He NFL scouts uh, talking about <laughs> Sam Darnold right there. It's tough. <laughs> bad, bad chin, bad face. Bad face. Uh, I love that they somehow bonded. During this scene where they're all these things where they're just horrible to each other. It's like, oh, we should come in pretty woman. You can be the hotel clerk or the hotel manager. Remarkable. Julian versus the senator is quick, but I like some of the senator's lines. I do know a horror when I see one. Mm. You're just a hanger on. Like he basically he tells the truth, Julian. You don't matter. Right. Right. You're, you're in this world, but you're not. You suck. Right. Here's what power really is. Yeah. Yeah. Julian goes to probe. We go to probe like two in the morning. What a uh, name for a club. Great name. Probe. Oh my God. 
it's crazy how similar the gay bar scene in Probe is to like four cruising scenes. I was going to mention this to you. It's definitely, and it's before cruising, but cruising's happening. I think they're f even filming it at the same time. But um, Leon's in there and just, uh, there's a vibe to it. It feels very 1979-1980. Takes us into the world. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm no surprise that Brady Snellis like loves it because he explores a lot of these kind of similar worlds and themes in a lot of his books too. Julian searches his apartment and car. Cool shot. Then he goes to the car. I'm saving all of my commentary here for picking nits. Okay. <laughs> Some good gear in that one. And then uh, when he, we, it, the when tension is very it's when he's very ripping palpable. everything off the walls and get, yeah. and ripping the yeah. car apart. I like okay. when gear gets mad and moves. Yeah. And then uh, Leon tells Julian what happened. Mm. Look, I, I want to know one thing from you. How much is it going to cost me to get you off my back? You ain't talking money, you talking murder. How much? I feel sorry for you, Julie. How much? It don't make no difference how much, Julie. The other side will always pay more. That scene in most movies is like the second to last scene in the movie. And this movie, it's like the fifth to last scene. And that's really interesting, the choice to like, it really, this movie really stretches out its ending to make it this much more kind of like emotional, spiritual conclusion as opposed to most noirs where it's like a lot of noirs in the 40s, it's revealed who the killer is or who framed the guy. And then it's just credits. So I have that on what stage the worst, but we'll get to okay. that when we get there. You were frameable, Mallory. Nobody cared about you. <laughs> I never liked you much myself. Now get out. Tough one. The great Bill Duke. Bill Duke, who's been, I think, in like six rewatchables at this point. He Craig? is the man. Fantastic. Yeah, Bill Duke he keeps popping up. Uh, what do you have for most rewatchable? I have the opening credits. Same. Oh, has to be. Into the conversation with Nina Van Palen and the girls on the, just, on the porch. I just want to add to the rewatchable scene, a scene we've already talked about, but having it in this category is important, which is the scene where they're in bed the morning after. Mm. And he's on the phone with Lisa talking about the stereo, the breakfast order. And Michelle just has this absolutely dazed, I had 15 orgasms yeah. the night before <laughs> look on I her can't face. Feel my feet. Like in an absolute yeah. fog of euphoria and pleasure, and literally can barely get a sentence out other than no eggs. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, what's age the best? We mentioned Gary, we mentioned Lauren Hutton. Mm. The Armani brand. Yeah. The fashion in the film overall. So, Lapham's Quarterly wrote in 2018 that Armani in 1975 did $14,000 in sales, 90000 next year. By 81, Gigolo has been in theaters. The sales are $135 million. Insane. Wow. Apparently, Gear can walk into any Armani store at any time and just Ooh, pick what he wants. He has cool. like the... Wow. The all-time, I'm just going in, I'm going to grab, I I'm Richard Gere, I'll grab two suits. That's, that's so awesome. the word in the street. Because that's how much he did for our body. The thing is, it's not just that the fashion is elite, which it is. The way that he wears it. Yeah. The way that he walks and moves, and even the distinctions when he has a suit on versus when he has like a, a cardigan on or mm -hmm. a pullover on. It, it's just absolutely incredible. And also Michelle is very well-dressed. And then like Sunday, as we just discussed, dresses like shit. So the the way that fashion is used as a contrast 
He's flowing the through the movie, you know? And that's a, that's a secret power of movie stars is that the clothes really hang on them beautifully, you know? Like, yeah. no offense to anybody in this room, the four of us as we're talking. We're wearing our clothes okay. You know, like, there's only <laughs> yeah. so much you can do when you're just, when you're a person that talks into a microphone all the time. No. But when you're a movie star, like, you have to have, he has that kind of perfect human male frame in the figure. And so he, that part of the reason why that stuff looks so good is because he's built for it and it's built for him. And Schrader said that if any, if there was one wrinkle when they were filming, he would just stop. Wow. Like he wanted him to look absolutely pristine and impeccable at all times. I love it. We mentioned Gears Car, the 1979 450 SL. So Iconic. The, it shifts. We eventually hit, it becomes a 560 in the 80s. The 450 is 79 and 80, and then it shifts. The 70, the 80, I think is harder to get. But the 79 is the best looking one of all of them. It's just perfect. It's a perfect. Have you done any scouting since perfect you started rewatching this movie? I, I scout all the time. You get to okay. lock one down. I don't know how I don't have this car yet. <laughs> and they're not even like crazy expensive anymore unless you want to get one that's only been like 15,000 miles, something like that. Um, the car is just perfect. It's the perfect convertible. I don't know why they just don't make the car again. Just mm. make it exactly the same, modernize it. It should just exist. Yeah. Get a partnership um, going with Showtime for the reimagined. Yeah. That's <laughs> funny. Like, Gigolo. you know, like one of your passions is sneakers, right? And all the time, they'll reissue oh, yeah. classic sneakers all the time with some slightly new they, updates they to them. They basically did it with the Ford Bronco, which was this mm -hmm. awesome yeah. car yeah. from the 70s. And now and people fucking they have love the new that version. Car now. It's like sold out. You yeah. can't get it. So I don't know. I don't think this is rocket science. <laughs> we mentioned what a great LA movie this is. Incredible use of Malibu and PCH in the Malibu colony. Beverly Hills Hotel. Tower Records in Westwood. The Sunset Plaza Apartments, which we'll go into in half-assed, mm -hmm. but um, they call it something else in the movie, but this was like a really iconic Isn't location. Isn't it called the Westwood Apartments yeah. In, yeah. The, in the movie? Yeah. Clean Hollywood Boulevard. And then this restaurant called Perino's, which mm -hmm. becomes a mm -hmm. big part of the movie at the end, which I guess went out of business in the 80s, um, but was one of the places. And that looked like a great... I wish it still existed. <laughs> What a cool place. That era of the L.A. restaurant is kind of gone. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Great wallpaper in the bathroom. Oh, I have the sunset thing now. This is from an oral history that Airmail did. David Freeman, a screenwriter, said, I lived where Richard Gere's character lived, Sunset Plaza Apartments. They're called something else in the movie. I don't think there was a person there who wasn't in show business. Terry Garr was like the mayor. Everybody had a crush on Terry, including me. But she was too fu smart to fuck the screenwriter. Robert <laughs> Forster was there. Hell yeah. Sean's guy. Wow. And George Hamilton. Um, he was like, anyone would look at that complex and knew immediately they were in LA, which is true. That specific apartment complex oh, yeah. could not exist in any other city. Maybe Miami. Great pool. Great, Great pool. use of the pool as a set. But you know what really stood out to me about the apartments? The carpet. Oh, yeah. That's just how you feel like you are not in the modern day. It's 1979. Well, it's a beige no, carpet everywhere. Yeah, Can you imagine? <laughs> Craig, you're looking for an apartment, right? Have you yeah, considered Sunset, Sunset Plaza? Plaza Hotels? Call me. They asked Debbie Harry. Um, they sent her the opening credits, and that's what inspired her to write Call Me. Amazing. And she worked on it. She was writing it. She pictured the opening scene of the they're movie. They're already big at this time, too. So they're it's, huge. They're really yeah. like... They're huge. They're realizing their full potential. Um, stayed number one for six weeks. Mentioned Gary and Hector Elizondo. Schrader was really excited that a couple people call Gear's character Julie instead of Julian in mm -hmm. this film, especially the pimp, because he felt like 
that kind of tied into the ambiguity of the character that he's basically, even though it's a man, he's basically kind of female kind of role. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then Clean Hollywood Boulevard was the only one. It was nice to see somebody drive through Hollywood Boulevard and not see somebody taking a dump. (laughs) Um, You don't have Senator Stratton's fossil fuel-centric platform on here? No, I should (laughs) have. That's really ahead of the head of the curve. He's yeah, 42 years ahead. <laughs> Decent amount of time spent at the political press conference <laughs> slash charity dinner. That, that, that's a little too a, long. Yeah. A little too long. Any other what's age the best for you? I think you hit him. Yeah, right, I think so too. On. We hit a lot at the top. I mean, uh, well, I'll, 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 I'll save it for picking this. Okay. Some quickies. Big Kahuna Burger Award for best use of food or drink. When he goes to see the nanny at the end, he gets that shot. And he's not drinking the shot. He's just kind of milking it. I always Bourbon. like when people yeah. people milk the shot. Mm. Craig's nodding. Also earlier in a, the same setting, he's like, oh, I'll have a Manhattan in here. So I just need a shot of bourbon, right? So yeah. you can like feel the way yeah, that, that drink is yeah. saying something about his circumstance. Yeah, he leaves that Manhattan with Lauren Hutton's table. Yeah. The Den of Thieves Benny Hanna Award for scene stealing location. There's a hundred of them, but I think the Sunset Plaza Apartments. I'm going with Ann's Beach House. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you don't have to twist my arm on that's that That's really good. A remarkable setting. Great. That's really good. Uh, I mean, also the Pacific Coast Highway. Yeah. yeah. You're right. PCH probably wins that. I'm just going to say for the food award, I have the breakfast order. Great. But we don't see the food, right? <laughs> we never see the food. I, I left okay. it up. <laughs> the Butch's Girlfriend Award for weak link of the film. So you mentioned this earlier. I don't. I just feel like the last couple scenes, I don't really get it. I don't, I don't, I think it's the weak point of the movie where we have like the, basically those drop cuts Yeah, where it just seems like he wasn't happy with how it was ending. So he just kind of threw some shit against the wall and. Well, the, the absolute final scene is good, is incredible. And it's, it's a direct homage to pickpocket, this Brisson film, which Brisson was like one of his heroes. And he's, he has since in other movies, he ended him, the card counter ends the exact same way. It is literally with the pickpocket ending. He, it's like he is constantly in dialogue with those guys that he loved. So that final moment where he puts his head against the window and he like accepts love, I think is incredible. But it's really drawn There's out. Where four he's, scenes before. Yeah, where, where he's like being interrogated yeah. kind of and it's like being told he's charged. And I don't understand why he did that. I don't either. I, I feel like he could have gotten arrested and Lauren Hutton just comes in and saves him, and it's the same movie. Yeah. You could have jumped three scenes, and it's fine. Yeah. I don't get it. What's, it, what's age the worst? The uh, the Gear Hutton sex scene is bad. I'm going to give this the uh, Mallory Rubin though, Award. Right? Did this movie need a better sex scene? Which is great, because Mallory's here today. Okay. I have so many thoughts on this sex <laughs> scene, which is utterly surreal and astonishing. This is a movie about someone who spends his entire life having sex. People do not have sex this way. <laughs> no. As far as I am aware, nobody has sex that way. The- How would you compare it to Top Gun Maverick? <laughs> With a sex scene where it's just a shirtless cruise laughing hysterically. <laughs> I mean, I would. I think that is uh, truer to life than the use of the blue sheet. They're most. It's mostly overhead shots on top of the bed, but then there's the camera shifting angle where they're standing in front of the sheet, and Lauren Hutton is standing she gets there on in the top nude. of them. At, and at then that Richard Gere's head like comes oh, yeah, yeah. up in front of the camera, and it always reminds me of Tom Brady's NFL Combine photo that's always <laughs> circulating on the internet with that like light blue sheet behind him. He's just standing there, like, "What's about to happen?" Like that's the energy there. It's so bizarre, and all of the close-up shots of 
here's a knee and here's an ankle and here's a scar and here's a head resting on the small of a back. Like there's a an interest in the human form that is, I guess, compelling, but it's just bizarre. <laughs> It's I wonder, bizarre. I'd love to ask Schrader if he would do that over again and make this sex scene a lot more I, I, kind of I think robust. I think it's purposeful. It's I like think, a Picasso painting, but, though. I think it's like, this is clinical in a way. It's like studying the human body Very more weird. so than yeah. it is studying sexuality, you know, because he's not, because he's a guy who just installs widgets every day, but they just happen to be orgasms. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> not, it's not emotional for him. Yeah. This is a What's Our Age the West from Schrader. Julian was not as gay as he would be today. At the time, we thought we were being brave, promoting this androgynous male entitlement. Now I look back, we were being cowardly. It should have been more gay. Then again, I probably got it made because Julian pretends not to be gay. Barry Diller wouldn't have made it otherwise. Can I can I read something from Schrader on Schrader for you? Let's that, I th- that I thought was really Schrader interesting. on Schrader in the house. Um, okay. Wait for Sean on Sean in a few years. A Can't lot wait. of people have asked me why I have this strong concern for and even love for gays and why my best friends over the last 10 years have been gay and whether it means I'm really in the closet. But it's really because of the liberation I mentioned. I couldn't get there through the heterosexual door. So I went through the other door and then came back round. He's famous for kind of talking about his interest in the in gay culture and 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 in in the world of gay clubs, which he frequented in the seventies. But he's like, I literally couldn't get it up for another man. And I, there was a part of me that thought it would be interesting if I could, but I just couldn't get there. And nevertheless, I have this fascination. And so him inserting that feeling that he had into the movie is really interesting. But it, I also think it's interesting that he's like, I would have pushed it farther. I would have pushed it farther. I think that's his provocation more so than him putting himself into the movie in a way. Mm-hmm. But he's, I mean, he talks about this nonstop. How jealous do you think he was of cruising? <laughs> I'd love to know what he thought of it. I, I don't know if I've ever read him talk about it. It's amazing that they come like almost directly in succession. Well, so that's why we did the order we're doing. Well, ju- I'll just tell you now, cruising's coming next week. <laughs> Unreal. America Jigglow, February 1st, 1980. Cruising a week later, February 8th. Wow. America is getting naughty. That's nuts. (laughs) What a time at the cinema. Boy. This is it. This is like, this was little Bill killing himself at the birthday party and then things are getting weird. Or the New Year's party, things are getting weird. Um, Let's take a break and then we'll hit the rest. All right, Ron Burgundy flew to war. Best time for a pee break. You mentioned the that as soon as we're at the political event, you can run off. You got two minutes there. Was there a better title for this movie? No. Mm. Best quote I'm going with, I don't like playing the same numbers too often. They get possessive. Great strategy. That is a Good great one. PR from gear. You're not going with a look if it's your period? <laughs> I didn't have that written down. <laughs> no, that wasn't your best quote of the film? <laughs> Okay. I'm going with giving pleasure to women. I'm supposed to feel guilty about that. Mm. Great moment. Sean, what's yours? I do like, uh, but I do know a whore when I see one, as you mentioned, what the senator says. I think everything Leon says to Julian is brutal. You know, where he's like, you were were frameable. I never liked you. You know, all that stuff. Uh, You stepped on too many toes. That insinuation that he's like a real swaggering dick and that everybody knows. And they're like, we got to take you down a notch. Yeah. SAS hottest take a word. Mm. Here's mine. I think this should have had a sequel. Hmm. I could have run this back in the mid 80s as LA, way more money and capitalism and the Gordon Gecko era. You think Michelle and Julian don't make it? 
they don't make it in Julian's a little older now. What's he doing? I would have liked to have gone back into LA mid eighties, the same way we go into LA late seventies. Has the television show changed your feeling on this at all though? So I I abandoned the TV show two episodes. They ago. way overthought this. Yeah. It's <laughs> way overthought it. I, they just yeah. they kind of they yeah. just didn't land the plane. It was sitting there though. I know. We we thought we were really Compelling encouraged opening. by the pilot. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you got you're going backwards, you're going forward, you're going sideways. And I just, I think they lost. It's way too complicated. This is a very simple I movie. forgot to put that in What's Age the Worst, by the way. The, is I think the TV show, which it will get canceled after this year. Yeah. Waste of Burnthal. So many cool pieces. Burnthal in jail was awesome. And then yeah. we yeah. never go back. Yeah. And it's too bad. Rosie uh, O'Donnell. The, yeah. The, 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 Detective the, the Sunday. The Rosie Renaissance. Yeah. yeah. Rosie O'Donnell and Mike Francesa, which I can't tell the difference between them at this point. <laughs> same haircut, same voice. Like, I think Francesa's an That's episode Long four. Island right there. That's Long Island, baby. Um, you have a hottest take or we move on? Uh, we've already covered mine, which is just that there's not enough sex in this movie that is about a gigolo. It's yeah. on purpose. Not yeah. it's, I stand by it. And I think especially because the first 30 minutes where you're seeing him in that part of his life is mm-hmm. so riveting. Yep. And then the drastic... Intentional, but drastic shift in tone and focus. I don't know. Need a little more of it. Uh, I mean, Lauren Hunt is just a hu- is huge flaw in this film. Like a huge flaw, in my opinion. The character and the performance, I think, are not what I want. Um, and in fact, my take is that if you just put Nina Van Pallant into Lauren Hutton's role, slightly Uh-oh. older woman, but a very beautiful woman who's very striking, who would be intoxicated by him, it's a better movie. Hmm. Casting what ifs. Yeah. Travolta pulls out. They go to Christopher Reeve. Schrader's against it. Barry Diller's excited about it. Apparently, Christopher Reeve turns down a million dollars. This movie sucks with Christopher Reeve. We bring so much baggage to Christopher Reeve now. I'm not so sure. Just, I don't know. It would have. It would have been different. He has like that. I don't see it. He has a the weird body. I don't see him as a gigolo. About him. No, yeah. I don't see it. Bad idea. There's this thing on the internet that Chevy Chase apparently declined it. I just don't believe it. I don't either. Yeah. I think that's absurd. Who the fuck would put che- Paul Schrader would never put Chevy Chase no. in American Gigolo. That, no. Although, you know, there's Schrader's quite famous for these bookend movies that he makes. These mm-hmm. sort of two movies yeah. that have similar frameworks. And he made a bookend movie for this movie, and it's called The Walker. It's a very little scene. It came out in 2007, starring Woody Harrelson as a kind of gigolo. Now, Woody Harrelson's not the kind of guy you would think would be, but he he likes to play with your expectations of your leading men. Would it have been interesting if Chevy Chase was in this movie? Could he have done a straight, per- like a like a direct non-comic performance in a movie like this? No. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Okay. The heart of the character is this, like, life. You, this guy can't have a sense sensual, of humor. Sensual, yeah. deeply serious. No, he's like a Overly fucking, self-serious. Like a shark. He's like yeah. a predator. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. Schrader said uh, on Chris Reeve, I thought he was too all-American, that he didn't have that reptile mysteriousness. Mm. So I called Chris's agent and said, I don't think Chris is right for this. He basically undermined it. Hmm. Interesting. So Julie Christie was initially cast as Michelle yeah. when Travolta was on You're it. a big Julie Christie guy. I mean, massive. Yeah. So to ask me to choose between Julie Christie and Lauren Hutton, I'm just not doing it. <laughs> I mean, still love both deeply. It's a, a 10 times the movie with Julie Christie. I mean, Julie Christie, in addition to being so gorgeous, is a much better actor, and way more accomplished. And we'll get to that with recasting, but yeah. Love Lauren Hutton, but Schrader said, 
he auditioned a bunch of people and Mia Farrow was the best. He mm. said, I tested her with John Travolta and she blew John off the screen. She made him look like an amateur, not a kid. <laughs> she would have been good. Oh my god. Oh, she made him look like an amateur, like a kid, not like the seducer. I had to go another way. Wow. Sue Manger's famous agent seized on this, invited me for dinner, seated me next to Lauren Hutton, tested Lauren with John. He was much better with her. John drops out. I want Mia back. But I'm saying to myself, look, I'm playing a dangerous game with Paramount. I'm changing one piece of the puzzle, lead actor. And he had two weeks to convince him to put gear in. He thought it was too risky to bring Mia in for Lauren Hutton. Mia Farrow never played a character like mm. this. Mm. And I think that's a really fun role for her. I, I think she's an underrated actress. The the Woody Allen, all of it has just overshadowed. You saw her in The Watcher. Like she's probably the best actor in The Watcher, but yeah. she's never been in a movie like this. I agree. agree. Would have been cool. I mean, most of the 80s is is her in, in Woody films. And, yeah. not, and there's nothing really kind of But her is like kind of the... She's the the sounding board for this neurotic guy in right, right. like nine straight movies, right. basically. Um, there's internet stuff that Meryl Streep and Jessica Lang turned this down. Not wasn't able to confirm. Meryl Streep, I think, explicitly said that she turned it down. Right? Didn't she put? Isn't that on the record? She did, but does that mean she turned it down or like oh, it got floated at her and she's like, "Nah, I'm not auditioning for that." Right, I, I right, don't know. Right, Meryl. Late seventies Meryl Streep I mean, in this as, would have as been. We out recall of from Kramer versus yeah. Kramer. Oh. She's a knockout. Knockout. That, that would have been fun. Yeah. <laughs> really and Jessica fun. Lang was probably the I mean, she gets seems like she gets thrown in every movie in the late seventies. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. she was one of the most desirable under thirty actresses. Yep. Giorgio, our guy Maroder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Never expected to hear that on the rewatch. Giorgio Guy Maroder. <laughs> wanted Stevie Nicks for the lead song. Ooh. Went down the road. Worked out for the best. Interesting. Yeah, she had turned it down. Fine. She just signed a new contract with a record company that she couldn't do a side gig. Went to Plan B. Blondie. Rest is history. Who do you got for the Ruffalo Hannah Rubinek Partridge overacting award? They knew and they let it happen. Don't you call me lady. I come in here. I give these things to you. you give me all you got. This and give me all you got. I treated you like a son. You fucking Stab me in the heart! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Have a candidate? I mean, Mr. Ryman is really going for it there with that. That's sl- who I slap have that, You know, yeah. like that's <laughs> that's my pick as well. Yeah, so, don't play that clip, clip. Yeah. Best that guy word, Bill Duke. Has to be Bill Duke, not Hector. Hector and Bill Duke are. Is two Hector le- or that guy? They are mm. both legendary. Were that guys that are no longer that? Let's guys. give it to both. Yeah. Okay, two great that guys. Dion Waiters award. We got Bill Duke. We have Hector Elizondo. And Kay Callen, the the rich lady who's with gear, and then the husband at the end is like, oh, she yeah. was oh, with me that night. Yeah. She, this is, I'll do it for Apex Mountain. Those are the those are the three. Kay Callen with no period. Yeah, just, just the letter, letter K. K Callen. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I hope it's Bill Duke, right? It's got to be Bill yeah. Duke. Yeah, he's so. throwing out. Leon. Recasting couch. Mm. I think it still should have been Julie Christie. I think the character being a little bit older mm-hmm. and yeah. smoking hot, but more realistic, married to the senator. The Lauren Hunt and married to the senator thing never added up to me, even though I know yeah. that senators have hot whites. But I just, she was like too beautiful and too, Julie Christie, like older. You could see, you know, she could play it a certain way where she's basically like in Milf range. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't know. Love Milfrange. <laughs> Milfrange. That's actually a really good pot idea. Should Milfrange. that have been the, that the, was the, the original... movie title instead of American Gigolo? No. That's Zach Wilson's pot, I Milfrange. think. Milfrange. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And if you're going younger, I think Jessica Lange would have been amazing. Mm. And she ends up making like The Postman Always Rings Twice. And they, mm-hmm. if she's going to make a sex movie, this would have been the one. I read that Glenn Close was also up for this. So Glenn Close is a good one. She's interesting because yeah. she's not. And the sort of like striking supermodel type that Lauren Hutton is, but the idea of her one being a senator's wife, two being really kind of desirous of Julian. I think she, you know, she does this like in Jagged Edge and movies in the yeah. future where she's she knows how to roll in an erotic thriller. So I think she would have been good. Yeah, mm. she would have been good in the the weird like nobody in this movie knows how to tail somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Effectively stretch. Yeah. Uh, bumping into you. In That's the true. We should add that at what stage of worst. The <laughs> terrible tailing. It's bad. Half fast internet research. Mm. Oh, for recasting couch, who yeah. is uh who's American Gigolo now? I guess the answer is Bernthal because they made the show with Bernthal. Yeah. No, it's Miles Teller. Come on. Miles Teller. Yeah. That'd oh. be great. Oh wow. It's I, would be say, a I would say guy. it's Glenn Powell. Bernthal's too old for that part. That's the other Isn't problem it Glenn Powell? Well, for he would be good. He's a little like smirky, smiley. You need somebody yeah. who's more comfortable being a little more brooding. I think. Or is is the character more bisexual than is insinuated in this movie? And maybe you go for somebody a little more. I don't know, andri- sexually androgynous. I mean, Timothy Chalamet, right? I mean, Army Hammer. I I don't oh, think what? so. Cannibal Gigolo. I, I don't. <laughs> it's a different movie. Half fast internet research. The nanny. I mean, I'm sorry. The uh, madam. Played by Nina Van Palen, became famous in the early seventies as the mistress of Clifford Irving, the guy who did the hoax biography of Howard Hughes, and then all these years later, Gear played Irving in the hoax. Yep, I like that. We'll come around. Do you remember who played Nina Van Palen in the hoax? Who? Julie Delpy. Oh, yeah. oh, our girl Julie. Yeah, pretty cool movie. Um, here's Schrader's story about convincing Barry Diller to do Richard Gear. He said, you don't talk to studio executives on the weekend. He calls him anyway. And he says, I've offered the part to Richard Gere. <laughs> Barry Doer says, you weren't authorized to do that. <laughs> He's like, Travolta's dropped out. I want to make the film. So he says, so Monday, when the trades contact you about John dropping out, it can be Travolta's dropped out. Freddie Fields is now suing Paramount, who's a producer. The project has collapsed or... We could say, we understand why John can't do this at this time. We're moving forward with Richard Gere. Hmm. And I know you want John for Urban Cowboy. And basically does this. This is Schrader's version. I'm not positive it's true. But basically, he does chess with Barry Diller and gets it. So he can get gear and pushes Travolta to Urban Cowboy. Okay. I might believe it. I don't know. This is like you flying solo on bringing Zach Lowe to Granlin. You're just like, I got this. Like, it's not it's not who you think it's going to be. It's going to be my guy. My guy's going to do it. The number's going to work. We're going to have success. Trust, trust me on this. Worked out. Very similar. <laughs> <laughs> Took over a year to bring Zach Lowe to Granlin. Should have happened in Zach always blogs in Armani suits, right? Yeah, a man yeah. of great style and who gives a lot of sexual pleasure to lots of <laughs> people who've never experienced an orgasm. Apex Mountain. Mm-hmm. Richard Gere. I think it's Officer and a Gentleman. It, it, oh. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. It's not this. It's not this. No. I think it's Officer. Could you make a case for the, for 1990 with both Pretty Woman, Pretty Woman you and could. Internal Affairs? You, you have to take that or Officer I think he comes out Officer and Gentleman, and this is one of the five biggest yeah. leading actors we have. And then 
he squanders it. He's not is he he's not nominated for that though, right? Like Louis Gossett no. Jr. wins. I think Deborah Winger was nominated. Gears should have been nominated. I think that was a tough Oscar year, is my memory. The 82, I think, was pretty brutal. Yeah, he's not the so Dustin funny. Hoffman Tootsie year. That movie got screenplay, editing, score, yeah. song, and didn't get gear. I don't like the way you're looking at me, Mayo. <laughs> Is that your gossip? <laughs> yeah, I tried. Lauren Hutton, Apex Mountain. Hmm. Probably in the 70s. I don't think it's this movie. Yeah. She was the, the biggest model Vogue. in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's... Yeah. Not at Once Bitten, the Jim no, Carrey vehicle? not Once Bitten. Okay. Also, that? in Sean on Sean, I read that Lauren Hutton shouldn't have been in this film. Shut so, up. can't be, can't be her Apex book. Mountain. CR and CR never got released, but it's 700 pages. Crank on crank? <laughs> cranking Still on cranking. Still cranking. The CR story. <laughs> <laughs> Apex Mountain for gigolos? Ooh. Better use of a gigolo in a movie or TV? Was Todd Parker a gigolo? I feel like he, I mean, he said, he hints that he was a dancer. We might have talked about this during the four and a half hour pod that I blacked out. No, none of us can remember that yeah. pod, yeah. But I, <laughs> he said he was at a dance club. It was insinuated that dance club might have male customers, not female. Yeah. Why don't you introduce her to my lap? Yeah. <laughs> Todd Parker. <laughs> Uh, I have this as Apex for Gigolos, unless you want to go with the Showtime reality show Gigolos. <laughs> Never seen that, yeah. that series, unfortunately. Schrader? Mm, probably. Probably. I think he did more celebrated things, but um, this is probably his biggest hit. So, yeah. Blondie? This song's only two minutes, 15 seconds. I feel like Heart of Glass is probably a bigger hit than this song. Am I crazy? I would say their Apex is probably a year earlier than this. So Heart of Glass went to number one. And this is this is called Data. <laughs> Heart of Glass went to number one on February 17th, 1979. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was number one for 20. It was on the charts for 21 weeks. But then wow. that means it basically bleeds right into when this is number one on Call the charts. Call Me debuts on February 16th, 1980. goes to number yeah. one for six weeks. Yeah. And it charts for 25 weeks. But the song that is on the charts the longest of theirs comes nine months later and it's a cover of The Tide is High. Interesting. Nine months is still... So then the answer is yes for this general period. Yeah, and Rapture yeah. also is a year after that or a few months after that. And it goes to number one as well for two weeks. So here's here's four the four number one hit singles. That's amazing. Here's the actual answer. Their apex is actually a few months earlier in October when they're on Serenade Live with Steve Martin mm. on the first episode of the fifth season when the show was still massive, right after Belushi and Aykroyd left. And they have Call Me Coming and just things are happening. I would say I'd vote for that. I think my favorite song is One Way or Another, which never even went to number one. Mm. They were a sick band. Great band. <laughs> Bill Duke, no. Gravity Boots, yes. Incredible Gravity Boots moment in this. <laughs> She's never, Gravity Boots have never been. Phenomenal. I don't know what happened to Gravity Boots. Somebody must have broken their neck and then that yeah. was it. Somebody got sued. It does seem right. perilous. Yeah. I would never do that. Never. <laughs> Malibu is a movie location. Ooh. I was trying to think what's done it better. This is way up there. Is enough of the movie set there, though? It's not. So yeah. I think there's another answer, but I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. I can't think of a Malibu movie at the moment. 
There's some good ones. We had well Neil's Neil's place is in Malibu and heat. That's true. When Kilmer goes, sunrises sets for me, man. <laughs> I do like in the Big Lebowski when he's like, "Stay out of Malibu, deadbeat." <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Tangerine Dream Marauder eerie music era. Mm. I think it peaks with Risky Business in '83. Mm-hmm. I'm good with that. It's such an important piece. I don't know how we haven't done Risky Business yet. Uh, shocking. Probe. Apex Mount for probe. <laughs> for probes or for probe? Probe. The bar probe. probe I think wasn't this is a real a bar, right? This wasn't a real place. I think probe is a real bar. Should we go there tonight? Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's best let's uh, loose. best racehorse name. Wait, we can't get out of Apex Mountain without doing side dick. Is this oh, Apex Mountain point. for side dick? Definitely not. What's Gone, Gone Girl. He, he Gone, needed some self fluffing. Affleck, Affleck and Gone Girl. Gone Girl, I think. Yeah. I, that's my pick as well. Yeah, Affleck knew he fluffed himself. Yep. <laughs> okay, Best racer. I think he acquitted himself very well. Oh, and Armani, we should mention. Mm. This could be possible Apex Mountain for Armani. Becomes the biggest. It's the springboard for sure. Springboard, yeah. Maybe the nineties, sometime in the nineties. Best racehorse name, American Gigolo would be an amazing racehorse name. And here comes American Gigolo. I don't know if anyone do that. I'm going with just one fuck. (laughs) Just one fuck is good. (laughs) It's amazing. Just one f. What about side dick? (laughs) Side dick. (laughs) I have for best racehorse name Julian K. Mm. Would be an amazing horse name. Really good. This is my horse, Julian K. Uh, what do you just think when you put him out the stud, Let's you know? Go yeah. Julie. Do. Let's go, Julie. What do you got for picking Nitch on? Other than the last 15 minutes of the movie. So L- Lauren Hutton's character obviously is intoxicated with Julian, right? She loves that she's able to have sexual pleasure for, I guess, the first time in her life. Mm-hmm. And she becomes obsessed with him. She starts basically following him around yeah. and pursuing him in an obsessive way. We have no understanding, though of like what emotional feelings she has for him. And she follows him to the ends of a murder charge. And I just never really buy love. And the movie is about love. There's not that one scene where they connect in some sort of lying in bed at three in the morning. It's like there's one scene missing and Ebert identifies this in his review and I think he's right. There's something missing in the movie that it's like take out those second and third and fourth to last scenes and 20 minutes before that, Give us a moment between them in which you can see the glimmer of gear and you can see Strat- Michelle Stratton have like emotional recognition. Because otherwise, it's just like she's just dick crazy. And that's not, I don't think that's enough. They could have thrown in a really good like Malibu eating scene. Them yeah, on laughing some deck. about something. Yeah, or- having some rose. Oh, I thought when you said Malibu eating scene, you meant another three hour pursuit of uh, oh. the orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that can be in just your sequel. Just for USG. Sean didn't recoil like I thought he would. I, I, no, you don't have been good going to a Laker game. We could have gotten uh, a little great. Kareem and Magic, seventy nine eighty. Yeah, or to them, Julian no just open like, at that time. You know, just <laughs> get get some some tuna tartare. Julian talking about Kareem Skyhook, <laughs> and she's like, "I'm in on this guy." You think he was a big Laker guy? Uh, I, I think he'd been in a couple games. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That would have like to make this the most perfect LA movie ever. The Lakers had to be involved. Would have been great to see him Laker and game. AC Green talk about how you know one really knows a lot about sex and the other really doesn't right? know too much about sex. That, that should have been the sequel. Yeah, he and uh, what was the pimp's name? 
Leon? Leon. Leon, yeah. He and Leon should have sat courtside for like a magic for a Lakers Clipper game. That would have been fun. What are you insinuating about Laker fans? That there are a lot of pimps sitting courtside? Maybe. Maybe he got, <laughs> he got a connection from somebody at Probe. The manager of Probe got Laker tickets. Any other pick and nits for you? What oh, do you yeah. got? Oh yeah. What okay. A couple. The balcony murder. Can we talk about this for a minute? It's please? really bad. It's it's yeah, terrible. If, yeah. My bad for not bringing this up sooner. The entire thing, but then the lawyer saying at the end, the maid saw you trying to save Leon, so the police are only pressing the Ryman case. Yeah, that's tough. He charges across the room and knocks him over the edge of the balcony. Did she not see that part? This is outright murder. Also, the idea that he's trying to save him while dangling him over the edge, is is, is, that's quite an interpretation (laughs) of those events. Absolutely remarkable. Great one. Who keeps, I mean, if anyone has any personal stories they'd like to share, it's a safe space, just the four of us in this room. Who keeps their handcuffs, paddles, and dildos in the filing cabinet in the study? That's where those are found. That's where Not this guy. <laughs> that's, just, that's just how Ryman does. Isn't that what nightstands are for? That's, that's what I'm Ryman's just throwing all about. that out there. That's not what nightstands are for. Okay. I have some picking nits with just this lady getting murdered and the husband not being more of a suspect. Did Ryman do it? Like, did he? Was he? Did he push the 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 other gigolo to kill her? Like, that's an unanswerable question. I think Ryman and, and Leon yeah. probably combine. Well, uh, well they're covering it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leon's Julian. covering it up because of the new the the boy. So yeah, the boy and and but, Ryman in some combination. But we know Ryman was vicious, right? That he was yes. violent into sadomasochistic stuff. Yes, absolutely. But did he was he actually the one who pushed it, or did he not intervene because as things were getting? That's something we don't really know. But right. it seems possible. that was my interpretation. What was your nitpick with the car? Okay. Putting all the jewels and stuff underneath, and then he drives around with them like a dumbass for <laughs> ten this, minutes. Thank you. So that's one. It's a. It's a. It's Put a. Put that in a nitpick. fucking dumpster. You simply must. Where does he eventually find them? In the, un- the underneath the car, the yeah. undercarriage yeah. of the car. You simply must check there first before you rip open. the door of your car. Yeah. He pulls off the interior of the driver's seat car in a frantic rage before checking the most obvious place to look. And yes, driving around with them. Now, obviously, he wants to take them to Leon to dramatically throw them at him. Mm-hmm. But when the cops pull by him, a lot of stuff, too, with that stretch where he's in pursuit, like one of the worst parking jobs I've ever seen. Yeah, tough. The yeah. police are after you, man. Don't yeah. give them an easy way in. Don't get caught because you didn't do your taxes right, you know? You this gotta guy be buttoned has, up. He's got two coats at the Beverly Hills Hotel, but he doesn't have a locker to put the jewels in. <laughs> he's a little frantic at this point. Yeah. I think he's a little frantic. But that's why we need cocaine. Life. In this part of the movie, we need cocaine. <laughs> okay. Need some cocaine to explain some of the decisions. <laughs> Sequel, prequel, prestige mm-hmm. TV, all black cast are untouchable. We have the we have prestige here. TV, yeah. and I feel like that it should have been better. The pieces were there, and they fucked it up. But you nailed it on the sequel. I think that would have been interesting. Sequel, mid-80s. Wealthier LA, he's running his own little, yeah. Or maybe, maybe it's that he or he's out has of fallen behind and he needs to get back in the game. Oh, I like those. You know, so he's like, I love back a, in the game. He's like yeah. training to work out to get his body back. He's shopping for new clothes. He's adapting to the way that the social sexual mores have changed over time. I think that I think getting back in the game. Yeah, American Jiggle Colon getting back in the game. That's money. <laughs> 
Let's do it. That two American, two gigolo. Staying alive. That was the mistake when they Ted Tony Manera is like, yeah, he wants to be a dancer on Broadway now. It's like, no, he's not no, back in the game. No. Come on. Is this movie better with Wayne Jenkins, Danny Trejo, Catherine Hahn, Steve Buscemi, Sam Jackson, J.T. Walsh, or Philip Baker Hall? Give me Philip Baker Hall as the senator. Ooh. I'm good to go. Great stuff. Great. Good to go. Great shout. I like it. Well, Sam Jackson as Buscemi. I mean, as uh, as Leon, rather. Would have been early, but I think he could have done yeah, it. I too, really like Bill early. Duke, though. I Wait, think he's Wayne really Jenkins good. instead yeah. of Detective Sunday? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> now, Just, we found these paddles and these dildos <laughs> in the filing cabinet in your office. Who keeps these things in a study? <laughs> Take us back to Baltimore, please. I didn't realize I was working with super fucking gigolo. <laughs> super gigolo. Just want to ask her who gets it. Schrader. Paul. Yeah. Faux show. Or. No chance of being nominated for this movie, right? Uh, I don't think so. I, I'll tell you what is Scarfiati, mm. who sort of designed the movie and he worked on The Conformist and went on to be this very you know famous figure in, in, in movies, was not in the union. Right. So he couldn't be the production designer or art director of this and movie. probably wins. So he has like a visual consultant title. But if he was, I think he would have been nominated and recognized if he were a little bit more in the in in the fabric of Hollywood at this time. Mm. 81 Oscars, Redford wins for Ordinary People, Scorsese, Raging Bull, David Lynch, Alpha Man, Richard Rush, Rush the Stuntman, and Polanski for Tess. I feel like Schrader could have edged one of those out. Hmm. Um, Maybe the last 15 minutes hurt him. Yeah, I mean, what? He was nominated for First Reformed. I think that's his first Oscar nomination. Yeah. I love that. Any movie. unanswerable questions for you guys? What's the hydration plan and what are the tongue exercises for the three-hour pleasure pursuit there? How many breaks are you building in? Probably some your neck could get. Absolutely. Yeah, they, like you definitely have to do some neck crints, not, maybe some not, stretching. But that's the thing about Julian. He's a machine. He's the ultimate mechanic. Yeah. He's no not going to go all, all Larry David. Like, I've got the neck cramp. And <laughs> By the way, th three hours is a long time. That's like a football game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With the halftime. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Like, are there commercial timeouts? Yeah. Three hours is, is a long time. Is there a halftime? Three hours for anything is a long time. That's like a, a car ride is a long time. Need Sean would breaks. have to pee twice on the car ride for three hours. <laughs> I have to pee so bad right now. <laughs> we're we're almost done. Best double feature choice for this movie. What do you got, Mallory? I think it's this and Pretty Woman. Wow. Yeah. That's fun. You know, flipping the roles, flipping like which, which position he's in. Very different tones. Mm -hmm. What about you? I mean, they're both about selling sex, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. I, I think it's got to be hardcore. I thought hardcore, yeah. too. You know, you... You hardcore, start with the hardcore horror, than this. And then you lead yeah. into the sex and the and the glamour. Couldn't agree more. I like the idea of, of gear in the different gears. Yeah. yeah. Different gears. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the seller and then Shifting he's the, the buyer. A Richard Gear double feature. <laughs> the Andy and Red Zawantneo Award for what happened the next day. How long is he with uh Lauren Hutton? Mere hours. He go he goes back to the mini blinds, standing in the nude, opens them, thinks he's gonna look out on a glimmer of sunlight, breathe in the, the fresh air of a free man, and then the police pull up and they say, Actually, we talked to the maid again, and she said that you did in fact murder Leon by pushing him off the balcony. Yeah. You have to go back to jail. The maid is recanted her story. Yeah. Or that's the next day. They go back to Malibu and later that night he realizes where I really want to be is probe. 
and I got to get back mm. to probe, and I got to investigate my true it's like, sexuality. Why do you keep going to probe? Yeah. What about Senator Stratton's campaign the next day? Doesn't go great. I mean, what happens to his fossil fuel thing? <sighs> Maybe that's why we are where we are right now. No, he's the president. Within eight years, he's the president. <laughs> that guy was, he was cunning. Get a fucking handle on your wife, dude. It's tough. It's tough. Ah, let her live. It's not ideal. Bad choice. Don't don't outkick your coverage when you're running for president. You want to happy to be there, first lady. You don't want Lauren Hutton. I think ready. he needed to be a bigger part of the movie. The have senator? A, yeah, have like a more meaningful impact on the story. It's, it's kind of like a hangover you're like, oh, effect. is he going to be a part of this you, frame? You see a lot of those kinds of characters in a lot of movies in the 70s and a lot of the conspiracy thrillers and stuff. So you think that he should play a bigger part, but he's just an accessory. Like he's just a... He's a side. He needs to just make. Yeah, Lord I wanted him to be important. an accessory to murder. Mm. No, I don't know. Rewrite it. Write your sequel. <laughs> I forgot for for Apex Mountain. I forgot to mention Kay Callen again because this was not her Apex Mountain. It was, was? Fast Break with Gabe Kaplan. Mm, nice. She's the uh, the teacher who is having trouble um, with DC Daisy. And it's going to fail him out. Gabe Kaplan talks about it. And then by the end of the end of the fast break, huge supporter of the program, Cadwallader's. Here's State. one of my favorite things about Kate Callan. Yeah. So a lot of characters, you know, when they're in movies, they often are like Steve Jones or, you know, yeah. Roger Stevenson. She's played Mrs. Bird, Miss Tidwell, Mrs. Powell, Mrs. Piston, Mrs. Hallstrom, yeah. Miss Tannenbaum. She was always like an older lady who was not allowed to have a first name. <laughs> right. Like in all the scripts. And, or, or initials or like a, a full first name in real life. That's right. We'll just give you a letter. That's it. Her, I mean, her real name is Catherine. What piece of memorabilia would you want from this movie is the easiest answer of all time. I want the car. I want okay. the car. Okay. I'm going with the the ankle. Oh, the gravity boots? <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. The, the, the game-worn gravity boots? That whole kit. You know, the, the free weights the gravity boots, the little tiny gray shorts that he's wearing in that whole scene. Remarkable stuff. That's my the pick. Suits, the suits are... I, you can, those suits are not in style anymore and I also could not pull them off, but still. Those are some It'd nice fun suits. to have like yeah. 10 of the suits. Yeah. Coach Finstock Award for Best Life Lesson. Mm. It don't matter how much, Julie. The other side will always pay more. Love Great it. life lesson. Love it. I'm going with Julian saying, take your pleasure when you can. Mm but I do know a whore when I see one. <laughs> <laughs> Who won the movie? Oh, boy. I I think it's Gear. I think it's Gear, too. I think it's Gear. Yeah. I, I love Schrader, saying but... I it's not Schrader, but it, it's I think gear. it's Gear. This is just a... Yeah. It all-time uh, seminal performance by him. Launched him into superstardom. Yeah, yeah. it vaulted him. I think... Uh, I think Maroder did very well by this. I think... Um, yeah, Armani, obviously. Armani, obviously, did very well. But... You can think about all the ways it could have gone wrong with the casting. Like three years later, this could have been Tom Cruise as American Gigolo. I think so. By this point, <laughs> Gear has already been, and we didn't mention this, the star of a John Schlesinger movie, Yanks, and the star of a Terrence Malick movie, Days of Heaven. Both good movies. Days of Heaven is kind of a legendary movie, but they're not big hits and they're not movies. Yeah. He would have probably been like a successful actor. He would have been a leading man in smaller movies, but this one. This is the it allows one. him to be, oh, we didn't get your vault of our officer and gentlemen. Let's go get Richard Gere yeah. and feel good about it. Yeah. He's an A minus movie star in terms of like the level that he's at, which is pretty good. So, what are we calling this month? Uh, sleek, sleazy, sex noir, early 80s month? You already cut me out of the repeaters, November. <laughs> 
There's four movies that we're doing. This was the first one. Are you sure you don't want to just be like orgasmic November? Early eighties orgasmic, orgasmic November. October then. That I mean, would have been really good. Um, well. This this kicks off in October, right? It's October thirty first. Nah, it's practically November first. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> all four movies within fifteen months of each other. If Naughty you, if, November. If you're smart, you could probably guess what the four movies are. Craig, your thoughts on American Gigolo? Phil didn't like Naughty November. <laughs> Naughty November's good. Such a visually satisfying movie, this movie. Los Angeles, it is so it is so sleek and sexy. What a way to kick off the month. Um, I I mean, I, I love any movie about LA. Like, especially like 60s, 70s, 80s LA. I just like could watch literally anything about it for hours. I wish this movie was 10 hours long. The clothes, I disagree with you. I think his clothes in this movie are back right now. They'll work now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think they are too. It's like neutral tones. They're they're mm -hmm. well-fitted, but not too well-fitted. They're like, a, there's a little bag to them. Yeah. Um, the wide leg pant is back. I wish I could have every single thing he's wearing and wear What's right your now. favorite outfit? The light blue silvery suit that he has is like lights Really up. nice, yeah. yeah. I like what he's wearing in the first scene in, in the bar with Hutton. I love the jacket mm, he has on when he's getting the shoe shine. He's got a tight collar. Yeah. Also, he's never not in a suit. I love like even his leisure wear is like a collared. Everything has a button at least. Yeah. Like yeah. even when he's like yeah, at nice home, collars. he's like just has no undershirt, but he's still wearing some like classy long sleeve button up thing. Yeah. That was amazing. Literally my nightmare. Why? Because I just want to be comfortable and in elastic waistbands no. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going the other way with that. I remember your hottest take. I don't know if that came out, but. I think oh, about we, clothes. <laughs> yeah, look classy all the time. I think that's an awesome. Look. I used to be that guy. Um, but what was what's his workout? What is the workout with the gravity boots? What was he doing? He was going. Abs. I assume doing. He's like, basically yeah, doing like, upside down sit ups. Right, but he crunches. wasn't doing a sit up. His head was going backwards and his arms are going the other way. Well, he was Swedish. I was yes. To be he's, fair, he's learning Swedish at the same time. So he yeah, is multifaceted. He's five or six languages. You know, like I, just show him going on a jog. I don't know. That I feel like you don't look. He looked great, but. It seemed like it was about body control. They wanted to get him naked with yeah. tight underwear and kind of ooze that out. It was a smart, creative decision. I will yeah. say this: my mom, one is of a the big only fan of the gravity boots, ooze out in the in the movie. Not enough oozing out in the movie. Mm. So I did kind of just think that the script <laughs> of this movie was not that great. Like the movie itself. How dare you? Great. Just, just wow. settle down. Like the dialogue itself, when you kind of just listen to the two of them talk, it's not that compelling. The hut and gear stuff could be better. I, I agree with that. I, I, I agree, but I also think it's pur purposeful. Like, these are pretty vapid, uneducated people. Well, and very repressed yeah. people. Yeah. Who have no idea how to communicate about what they're actually looking True, for. True, but I almost feel like the stories matter so little in this movie. It's just like, kind of like the, the sense of it. Like, yeah. you could have pitched this movie and then they wrote the script. They're like, gear, gigolo, sex, Malibu, suits. And they're like, done. His st origin story of how he came up with the idea is really funny where he's like, I was in a classroom and I was talking to people and I was saying like, there are a lot of jobs in the world, you know? Maybe you're an accountant. Maybe you work on a construction site. Maybe you're a gigolo. And then he was like, American gigolo. <laughs> That's an idea for a movie, which is such a weird way to come up yeah, with it. But that, that is par probably partially why it feels like, like we said, it's a, a style exercise and yeah. like a mood spiritual story and like not it was a plot pitched story. before it was written. Yeah. 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 If we had done LA month, this would have been one of the four LA movies. Ooh. Well, that's a good month. Don't, don't trample yeah. on that. That's, that's, that's a good a idea. That's a fun idea. Yeah. Yeah, well, we can still do it. But yeah. I'm just saying, like, this would have been, we're like, oh, it should be an LA month. And mm -hmm. it, this is easily has to be in there. Mm. It uses LA as a character, which you know I love. You know I love when they use cities as characters. It's great. Yeah, I feel like PCH, you love when they say the name of the movie and when they yeah. use the city as a character. <laughs> PCH still not overrated. No, no. For how famous it is, it delivers. Oh. It's beautiful. Yeah, I love absolutely it. elite. Properly rated. 
Craig Korbeck produced this podcast. Thank you, Sean Fennessy and Mallory Rubin. We'll be back next week. Should I say the movie next week? You already did. Cruising? Yeah. Yeah, Cruising next week. Came out a week after this one. <laughs> Sex, neo-noir, sleazy sleek. Is Cruising on streaming? Where can people watch that? Do you know? All of these movies are on streaming. I think uh, American Gigolo was- Paramount Plus. Paramount, Paramount Plus. Yeah. Cruising's on one of them. Some of them. Yeah. 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 From still cranking to still cruising. Yeah. CR's coming back for cruising? <laughs> so- Yes, he is back for cruising. <laughs> it's finally happening. Um, I tried. I was gonna watch it on an airplane when we were gonna do it this summer, yeah. and I started watching it on the airplane. And then I was like, "Wait a second, I can't do this." As I soon as a guy's on, on top of the other guy with the knife, you gotta. It, you, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. should make a yeah. ranking of the worst movies to watch on an airplane. I think cruising's in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> There's no question. Um, I think what's that movie that came out? That horror movie, the sequel. That I mailed you today or texted oh, you? Oh, Terrifier 2. Terrifier 2 is probably, yeah. you don't want to throw that one on. Yeah, I would say Barbarian would be great. Limb to limb, yeah. yeah. Oh. Barbarian's probably not awesome. It's, it's a long list. It's Basic a, Instinct a, would be tough. Uh, but I think some people would respect it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want anything where there's just a really, really aggressive sex scene. But when you see Mal on a plane, you almost expect her to be she watching. Yeah, she's like, oh, she's in character. Frame. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, we will see you uh we'll see you next week.